I am a little bit of a pessimist, and you are. You know, well, we know that. But that's my job. You're supposed to bring the positivity here. Munster are not one of the best teams in the world at the moment. The Red Seventy Eight with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, bang on half past seven this Tuesday morning. It's a short week, which generally means it's going to be a long week. Nathan, good morning to you. How are you? How's it going? No, Owen Sheehan today. He's um, still dancing in the field in Barcelona, even though the concert and the gig has moved on. Uh, it's been described as Europe's fire fest. Well, That's what it, I saw from Owen Sheehan's yeah, was, Instagram, but I didn't, I didn't delve any no, further. No, me neither. I was it didn't make the news, so I don't really care. Some other stuff, some bad stuff happened. Uh, a load of rich 20-somethings moaning about life. Oh, the toilets don't have enough blue goo in them. <laughs> that kind of stuff. That kind of thing, I'm sure. Uh, if you saw one she in a primavera, please do get in touch. Well, he did actually, he made the, the schoolboy error of sending us a photograph and he, he had gone full Paul Mescal. That's all I'll say. The what? Short, the oh, short, no, no, no. The shorts no, no. weren't even Kerry shorts. It looked like they oh, were Dublin no, no. shorts. Like Dublin chain shorts. They were, oh, it looked full on, full-blown O'Neill's. Paul yeah. Mescal could pull it off. Funnily enough, funnily enough, I will say this once while he's not here. Owen Sheehan could also pull it off. Wow. He was, he was um, fitting right was in. like a Limerick defender with the top off, was he? Uh, speaking of, of tops off, did you notice? Oh, you weren't there. Sorry. Uh, uh, that wasn't actually a dig. That's uh, fine. Fine. It, I'm, I'm prepared for plenty of them. There was, a lot of, um, there was a lot of Tommy Rooney wandering around going, oh, I, I, can't, get my, I, can't, I can't get my clothes on properly oh. at, at Tri-Tie on uh, Sunday. You know, basically from the second we arrived to the second we left, Tommy was more often topless than not. And was it, were you appreciative of it? Or? And I didn't look, uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell, uh, you know, uh, anymore. But it was also noticeable that he managed to put his um, wetsuit on back to front, which made it easy for the, <laughs> the cameraman to pick him out because it had a giant he medium. He put it on back to front. He had a giant medium across his, the middle of his back. Oh, my God. How is that even possible? Because they're difficult to get on. I had a, about an hour long row with my 10 uh, year old last night trying to get on a wetsuit to make sure it fit properly and explain that they're meant to be you know, as tight as possible uh, and even he could get it on the right way around so how do you get it on the wrong way around? Maybe it was inside out rather than back to front places. I think it was inside out rather than back to front so okay. you wouldn't automatically have noticed it. the back to front thing is a, a, a bit of a warning they give you before the swim but at that stage it's too late I know we're going to get the full debrief Jerry, but I could tell from the tone of your messages over the weekend you were absolutely buzzing Well that was Sunday yesterday I nearly died there was oh, like really? a, oh, there was the full on oh my god, this is incredible! Every single pore of my being is filled with adrenaline. And then yesterday, I was lying on the couch, wishing death would uh, give me this sweet release that I my body craved, but it didn't. And I'm here today. Did There's you, definitely did point you come yesterday. Uh, no, I didn't this time. Good man, it's a massive quantum before. And also, I beat you, which is the most important thing. Because how did you get on, Nathan? Uh, well, actually, I got an email yesterday from uh, Try a Tie with my um, all the time? details of my time, and it was actually, yeah, I think I might just print it off and frame it. It was, it was pretty good, good, was it? Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, so you, yeah, very good. Well, we'll get into the details of that later on. You were at the under twenty ones last night. Uh, well, under twenty ones, yeah. The Brian. lone bright spark in Irish international football at the moment. I mean, not the lone. Obviously, the women are pretty good, but uh, the senior men's team not so good at the moment, and they're going to feature in our performance rankings in a moment. So we're not going to get into that just yet. Yeah, well, there's an opportunity now for the 21s to qualify for a European Championship for the first time ever. Uh, so 3-1 against Montenegro followed up from the victory on Friday night. I know there's a lot of questions about the lack of crowd and attendance. and There was no great buzz. It felt a bit like a friendly. Uh, but Ireland were 
really professional, got better as the game goal went on. Uh, Will Smallbone has been the star of the opening two games, got two on Friday night, got one last night. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the senior squad, maybe even by the end of this international window. Now, they do have a huge game against Italy next Tuesday, uh, that, depending on results elsewhere, may be important or may not. Uh, Italy play Sweden on Thursday, and depending on the result of that, we'll know the importance of Ireland's final game. So if Italy win on Thursday, Ireland are guaranteed a playoff. Best result is a draw. That means Ireland are guaranteed a playoff, but a victory against Italy would earn automatic qualification. But if Sweden win, it's out of Ireland's hands and they probably need to go to Italy and will need to go to Italy and win next week. So they've done everything they needed to do. It looks like a good crop of players. I'm sure we'll get into uh, what it means for the senior team and should these players be getting a chance uh, a little bit quicker. Uh, But yeah, certainly I think they've got the best opportunity they've ever had to qualify for a a major tournament. All right, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. We're getting into the performance rankings. You can guess who's going to be in red there. Try a thigh. Our final discussion about it at 8 o'clock. David Connolly's going to join us at 10 past 8 for more picking over the carcass of Ireland's 1-0 defeat in Yerevan. Sports news at 8.35. We're going to talk about the big non-news, really, that Phil Mickelson is doing what everybody thought he was doing, and he's taking the money. He's taking the money. Uh, Alan Quinn is going to join us today. 50. We thought we'd seen the low point for Munster, but it turns out we hadn't. They got absolutely spanked by Ulster on Friday night. You might have forgotten that because it was so long ago now, but uh, we're going to talk about that. Anthony Moyle is going to join us 10 past 9. We will ask him about the Mead gig, but we might not start with that because um, we don't have six hours to uh, pour over the coals of what's going on with me football and then some Vinnie Parth goodness coming your way at 9.30 but at 7.35 this Tuesday morning we'd love to hear from you if you want to get involved in the performance rankings now would be a good time to tell us what you think should be in the green in the amber or the red because it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head our performances which just lacked that intensity right in the red is there anywhere else we can start with the, at the moment you've got about Monster Rugby I thought we'd save Monster for a full on Quinny debrief uh, I've got to start with the Republic of Ireland there's no way around this it was a dire second half performance in particular and a massive setback for any momentum that had been built over the last year and raises all sorts of questions as to where this group are going how realistic qualification for Euro 2024 is and all the positivity that we thought was there and that we were only heading in one direction it came to a pretty shuddering halt in the heat in Yerevan on Saturday night so yes Republic of Ireland very much in the red it's our fault, Nathan. It is our fault, judging from my Twitter feed and from uh, the general text and uh, people getting in touch with us ever since this uh, defeat. It's because, um, you know, we anointed Stephen Kenny as the Republic of Ireland manager and we were the only ones who thought that he was uh, the man for the job. And so, therefore, Team OTB needs to take this one on the chin. It, absolutely. Listen, that's uh, clearly a load of bollocks. And I think you only have to look at how the Irish public have bought into what Stephen Kenny is trying to do with ticket sales and season tickets and just the general belief that this young group is something that people should get behind the connection that is there between Stephen Kenny and the League of Ireland. There's, there's been a bit of a sea change in attitudes towards internal Irish football over the last year, but you have to win games and you have to win games like this. I don't think it'll ever be acceptable 
for Ireland not to beat Armenia, regardless of where they are. Much like I didn't think it would ever be acceptable for Ireland not to beat Luxembourg or to lose at home to Luxembourg. They, the Nations League is set up so you're playing teams of similar quality. And Armenia earned their place by getting promoted. And if you look at the Nations League, Ireland really should be in League C at this stage. And Armenia should be in League B because we should have been relegated. It was only by a quirk of UEFA that we ended up staying here. But Armenia's form really since promotion has collapsed. Remember, they conceded nine goals against Norway. They conceded five against North Macedonia. So even if you ignore the Norway game, this is not a team of great quality. Henrik Mkhitaryan has retired from international football. But in the second half, they played us off the park. And all of the errors of the early part of the Stephen Kenny reign, which we sort of wrote off because of COVID and the constant changes team, they, they all seem to come back. Can I just that tease that out? Because I, 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 I think we should be as accurate as possible here. It doesn't feel like they played us off the park, right? I, I think like, in the second half, they were a what, lot better. Sorry. I actually think that the problem here is if... Um, so Ireland's style has evolved over the last 18 months. We've, we've become a more direct team. We, have, we had Gavin Cooney on the show on, on Friday night and he was talking about we actually pass the ball less now than we did at the start of Kenny's regime. Um, it, it feels specifically that the challenge that we face when, we're, when we are the better team, because we were still, sorry, when we are the team who is in control of the ball more often than not. And that was still the case in the second half. Like we still controlled the ball more than they did. But that's the problem, is that we don't have any creativity. We don't have a number 10. Like, we, we could still be playing there now, and it feels like unless Ogbeni scores uh, from the free header at the end of the first half, or unless John Egan scores a header, which would be a good, a good goal, like a really good-headed goal from a, a corner kick, that we weren't going to score from open play. And it's against these teams who are solid, put a bank of players behind the ball, and aren't that ambitious. So I, I would say they didn't play us off the park. They did exactly what they needed to do, which was not very much, which is kind of worse. So Ireland had 70% possession uh, in that game. But I think in the second half, Armenia were by far, far the better team. They were happy to have Ireland having the ball because, as you say, they knew they weren't going to do anything with it. And every time Armenia won the ball back, they looked dangerous. And some of the errors in the Armenian half were beyond a joke. There was at one stage, I think it was Jason Knight played a short ball across to Jeff Hendrick. He's standing five yards away. Hendrick sort of leaves it, a half dummy for Cullen, but Cullen isn't ready for it. And out of nothing, they break, and your three of your midfielders are gone, gone instantly. And that happened countless times. Simple passes. So whether that's a technical ability of the players, that they're just not good enough under a bit of pressure to pick out the right ball at the right time, or is it the system that the players around them aren't in the right place at the right time? Third, and option three is that uh, Hendrick's not playing any football. And and that like you know he's a key player for for us. He's played that friendly, I think, and that's all the football that he's played in the last six months. Basically, pretty much. He's had one start uh, he, he, when he went to Queens Park Rangers first. He got some games, but in, in the last few months he's had one game. But again, and I agree with all that. And we can make the case, and you can go through that Irish team. Like Shane Duffy hasn't played any football in the last four months. Uh, you know, Nathan Collins has had a good run, but still, that was his first competitive start. Uh, Enda Stevens has had injury problems. Seamus Coleman, you know, really seemed to struggle at times. Uh, Hendrick, as you say, hasn't played anywhere near enough football. And the front three, you know, Ben is coming from League One. Callum Robinson hasn't been playing a huge amount of football. Troy Parrott's coming from League One as a very young, inexperienced player. So you can make excuses for the quality, but... You know, Stephen Kenny has said himself right from day one, I'm never going to say we don't have the players. So we have to accept the players are who they are. And I thought Hendrick at times in the first half, 
you know, was playing the right ball and was doing the right thing. And maybe it is the lack of match fitness in that heat. He just collapsed completely in the second half. So he had a contract now, or is there another season? No, there's he, he was talking last week saying that uh, while he will go back to Newcastle pre-season, he doesn't, I don't think he expects to stay at Newcastle for next season. So, listen, Hendrick is a lightning rod for criticism when it comes to this Ireland team. I think it's overplayed at times. But he needs to get football. Like, I, I'm not criticising him here for not for playing badly in the game. I'm, I'm like, he, he needs to play football. And, and if Ireland are going to qualify for a tournament, we actually need 20 players playing week in, week out at whatever their level is. And that's going to give us an opportunity to pick players who are in form as opposed to, well, Hendrick's in the team because actually if he's not in the team, who then is in the team? Well, the alternative is you play Alan Brown. Uh, but Hendrick has been one of the best players under Stephen Kenny. So he obviously wants to put his trust in him. And Kenny's been trying to figure that out constantly as to that balance of players he knows and can trust and have experience and the guys who are playing first-team football. And I think he learned that in terms of the defeat against Luxembourg, uh, where he played players quite quickly after, was it the game against Serbia, and they weren't fully fit and they couldn't play two games in four days. That's why I think we'll see probably plenty of changes tomorrow night. But like, the first-half performance was decent, and the front three all looked dangerous at times, and it was really good movement. And while it wasn't perfect and it wasn't outstanding, you sort of felt, and they'll get a goal early in the second half, and they'll kick on from here. But it must be hugely worrying for Stephen Kenny, for everybody, how that second half went. Because I know you're saying they didn't play them off the park, but Ireland never looked like scoring, and Armenia looked like scoring no, every and, time they so went forward. Il Pastino 88 says, let's not rewrite history. Armenia completely dominated the second half. We had zero threat. My point isn't that I'm rewriting history. It's that actually we have a very specific problem, is that you can, you can decide as a team, if you're not a very good team, to give us the ball, and we're not able to break you down. So that's almost... So it, it's not that... I'm saying we dominated the second half. We had more of the ball. We just have no creativity or, it seems at the moment, no clear idea of what we're going to do when we have that ball to try and inflict a game that's going to be damaging on the opposition. And that's the most worrying thing for me. So I'm not in any way excusing things. I just don't think that like the characterisation of it, um, you just need to be careful because every bad team who ever plays against us now is going to watch what Armenia did and I'm not saying they're all going to score worldies from 35 yards. Well, but the last three bad teams that we've played have all scored worldies against us. And listen, this might sound like the most stupid comment of all time, but every time I've watched Ireland and they haven't played well, it always feels like we need 12 players. It always feels like we need three centre-backs, or we look open at the back, and we need an extra midfielder. And that's what I felt the last day, that do we need three centre-backs? Shane Duffy had way too much of the ball rather than a midfielder in there. But Stephen Kenny seems to have settled on this system, which means you've got the wrong players in possession of the ball at the wrong time. Like Shane Duffy, as much as he's improved in possession, is not Virgil van Dijk. No. So you don't want him starting every attack. You want Cullen starting every attack. Or, or Andrew Omavadeli, in which case you'd be quite happy for the ball at his feet. And it's just that, you know, again, he's only 19. so And he's injured. Uh, that, that was my point. Uh, Stephen in Dublin 3 says, all the talk about how great our keepers are, yet none of them can get near any shots coming from outside the box. I don't think there was anything Queeveen Kelleher uh, could have done about that. He, you know, he made a very good save early on. It, it, like those shots are not the fault of the goalkeeper. Comes out, hits the post. Like he's got his angles right. He's, it's, he's a millimeter away. So I don't think you can play Kelleher in any way for the goal. As awful as we were on Saturday, I firmly believe that we will win tomorrow and Saturday. I can't wait for the doubters to be silent. Silence says James McCullough. I mean, in fairness. We are playing two of the most heartbroken teams in world football in the next six days. So, Possibly. Ukraine are a far better team than Ireland right now if 
they go with their full strength 11. That's the but thing. they've played two huge games in the last week. Now, listen, if you're a Ukrainian player, you're going to say, I'm a bit tired. I'm not going out representing my country at the moment. I think that's unlikely, but the manager may make that decision. And that texture is absolutely right. It will silence the dieters. And the way to silence doubters is to win games. MOC says so some players not fit and asking them to play international football in 35 degree heat no wonder they lost uh, Sandy Zara says why are Claire and Limerick not mentioned in green together and Barbalatza 83 says no one talking about the bottle thrown at Tony Kelly as he took the sideline cut to equalise at the end of the game in the normal time and the disgusting chance from Limerick fans at the end of the game I didn't hear the, the chance uh, so maybe you'll uh, update us in the comments really? Uh, you know you can tell us what, what, what they were use uh, asterisks for no, don't. No. It's a YouTube comment still, uh, you know, self-police. Anything goes. So that's the first thing in red. Also in red, I'm surprised. What, what have we got here? The handshake. Wowzers. Uh, this was yet again. It, it even topped the awkwardness of the handshake in Salt Hill. Brian Cody, Henry Shefflin. Uh, Brian Cody leads Kilkenny to yet another Leinster hurling title. Uh, does he do what every victorious manager has done, regardless of the rivalry? Does he stroll over and just even throw the hand out? Just throw the hand out. You don't even have to be looking at him. You can do the Roy Keane and uh, Mick McCarthy and just turn the other way. But you shake the hand, don't you? No, Brian Cody decided this time I'm going to shake every member of my backroom staff's hand. I'm going to stand around and I'm going to wait for Henry Shefflin to march across the pitch shake my hand, where words are exchanged, and Henry Shefflin, his greatest ever player, his greatest ever player, backtracks, shaking his head and mouthing something. It, this, this is the greatest GEA. Isn't it great to see such warmth between two, two GEA men times. putting the incident to bed? That's, that's what I heard. <laughs> that's what you saw, was it? Well, that's what, that's, what, that's what we were told on the telly. It's like, oh, that's great. That's a good sign now. That's it. It's all over. We don't need to talk about this. I'm like, Really? Because that looks a little bit like there was a bit more to that than normal. The that great just... shame of this is that they're on opposite sides of the draw now. And unless one of them beat Limerick, we're not going to see Galway and Kilkenny in Mark the championship three. again yeah. this year. Uh, it's hard to get away from feeling Cody has let himself down massively. Uh, Henry Shefflin is his greatest ever player. Uh, just out of basic respect and of all the talk that's been there over the last two, three weeks since what happened in Salt Hill... The easiest way not to have to answer questions about this uh, and his answers afterwards of, oh, I don't care who's in charge of either team. It's not about managers, it's just about players. The easiest way to stop all that is you walk over, you shake his hand, you move on. You don't even need to say a word. But if Brian Cody's doing this, it is absolutely pointed. And it feels as though he's trying to humiliate Henry Shefflin for whatever reason. Because Henry has gone to a rival county and is trying to deny Kilkenny and All-Ireland. Which it feels that this is what it is. I, I, I don't know if it's anything more personal than that. That in Brian Cody's head, you cannot go and leave Kilkenny and try and have another county win an All-Ireland ahead of them. Do you know, do you know if, you're, if you are on the inside of the tent pissing out and you're all pissing out together and then all of a sudden somebody's pissing in, like... I, there's there's a there's a madness to uh, elite sport that we as normal human beings don't get. There's a ruthlessness, and and Cody's ruthlessness is something that he's been praised for relentlessly for two decades. It was like, oh, player who looks to us like he's at the peak of his powers gone from the panel because actually, you know what? We don't know why, but it wasn't enough for Cody. He he saw something in terms of commitment or application or usefulness to the game plan, and he saw an opportunity to make an example of it, and everybody else suddenly an extra 15-20% of training. You can't have that, and you can't praise that without everything else that comes with it. Like, 
if we think back to Alex Ferguson, the greatest football manager that ever lived, according to a bunch of people, and certainly up there in the conversation with all of the great managers who there ever were, all the way back to Busby and Shankly, the modern inheritor of that. But, like, you would not say Alex Ferguson was a man without some wrinkles in his character that we all find a little bit distasteful. So, Brian Cody, warts and all, is what Kilkenny Hurling is and has been for the last two decades. And so part of me thinks, like, Henry Sheffer knew what the crack was when he was taking the gig. He did not expect a welcome. He did not expect uh, this is all grand. It's fine that you're trying to steal from us the trophy. And he, listen back to, to Paddy Andrews talking about there was a bit of hatred there for Mayo. They were trying to steal our things. We we wanted these. They were our medals and Mayo were coming up here to steal them from us. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? On a, a normal level. And Paddy talks about it being a bit cultish. But like, how do you get to the very top? Do you think... Do you think Limerick? Do you think Limerick don't think the same about people? It's just that everybody at the moment is together, and there is a, a, a cult belief in their ability to get through absolutely anything, and it takes you to greatness. In in team sport, it absolutely takes you to greatness. But now somebody who was in there and knows everything about them, and as it is like you know was managing half the team to club all Ireland glory eighteen months two years ago, is on the far sideline plotting against you from within. It must feel a little bit like well, not having this. It's a compliment to Henry Shefflin because uh, this animosity didn't seem to exist for McFennelly or for Eddie Brennan when they exactly. were coming up against Kilkenny. Exactly, because they, they weren't... Well, what do you want Henry Shefflin to do? Sit around managing Ballyhale for the next 10 no, years I, I, until I, Brian Cady decides I'm done? I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying that there's a side to this that everybody's like, oh, Cody's a bad man for not doing it. It's like, well, but he, he gave you all those All-Irelands and you were happy enough to go and celebrate those and you actually loved them, you lapped them up. Oh, Frank Cody's clearly absolutely just one-eyed in this. Like, it, there is no major question mark in his head as to... Uh, he, he didn't take a step back in any way. Like, he didn't think, you know what, all that criticism, all that stuff that's been in the papers, I just can't be dealing with it. It's a sideshow. I'm just going to go over and shake his hand and we can all move on. No. I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to make it an even bigger thing. Like, all I want to see now is go away against Kilkenny again as wait. soon as possible. Because, and I know, was it Nicky Brennan said, oh, they should go and shake hands, a public handshake before the game. Ah. Uh, you know, the, the, gills. heard from a few Kilkenny players since then that that was the last thing that was ever going to happen. And I would suspect that most, as you say, most of those Kilkenny players who know Brian Cody have seen him aren't in any way surprised that this is how it ended up, that this is how Cody reacted. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, uh, it's a long road and no turning. Henry Sheffield's going to have another opportunity next year in the championship twice, more than likely, to um, to be the big dog. And that's how it's going to be. I, I I do think it means that we're going to see longer Shefflin in Galway. You know, <laughs> I can't see him walking away at the end of the year going, oh, the travelling got to me. It's like, right. Does does Cody does Cody then anoint Henry? Say that again, sorry? Cody anoint Henry at the end of all this? No, no, no. He stood no. up to me. Oh, maybe, maybe. It's like, uh, you know, all the rest of them, they all went up and, and took easy jobs. I don't know. I mean, will Eddie Brennan be in with a shout for the Dublin job? Would that be? Are they, yeah, I imagine he are is. they challenging enough to um, to piss Cody off? I don't know. But either way, it's going to be interesting. It's the ultimate insult for your county's hurlers if Cody shakes the hand of your manager. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's in red. The handshake is in red. Or it could have been in green. I suppose you uh, yeah, could definitely put it in green there. If, if you're of a mind that likes narrative. What's in the amber? Amber. Mayo and amber. Ticking along. Forever calcified in amber, a bit like the mosquito at the start of Jurassic Park. I just watched uh, Jurassic Park last night. I didn't. Go on. Quite frightening. 
as yeah. I quickly discovered my 10 year old was like what the hell is going on here uh, not as much of a kids movie as, uh, as I once remembered but anyways uh, moving on from Jurassic Park uh, yes Mayo are in Amber for now but uh, see, even, even next weekend it's hard to see them moving out of Amber by beating Kildare is it uh, but yeah they got the job done against Monaghan uh, it wasn't particularly spectacular Monaghan weren't very good Mayo were quite wasteful they went one period without scoring for 20 minutes you know, had a brilliant goal chance to settle the game didn't take it uh, but still had more than enough without being at their best for one of the better teams in the country so it does feel like a typical Mayo qualifier route you just got to somehow get the job done keep hanging on in there hope the draw goes in your favour as you and it has on. it um, has it would, are you happy with that there were easier draws like by, by league position but there's a like a oh revenge for Newbridge or nowhere it's in Croke Park well now we now we'll see what Why would happen I'd nearly sooner go to Newbridge than go to Crow Park. I know Mayo were the first team out, so you know if it was home, probably would have been Castlebar. But uh, why is it in Crow Park at six o'clock on Saturday night at the same time as Ireland against Scotland? Uh, when yet again Mayo are somehow meant to travel to Dublin to uh, fill out Crow Park? It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And we're at another situation where we'll have what thirty-five thousand max in Crow Park for a double header. When why not have it in Tullamore or Port Leash or? Don't ever recommend you know going to the Hyde Park for something, but something that's halfway between both counties that means that the Mayo supporters don't need to come to the most expensive city in the world right now to have a Saturday night out. Yeah, um, I, I, like, can you? Uh, is it not just possible to get in the car and go home afterwards? Over at eight o'clock, home by eleven, half eleven. Well, you take the old trek back to Ackle now and see how you get on with that. Okay, there. so you pick the most the furthest part. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm sure the Mayo players are delighted it's in Crow Park because. You know, they uh, have had more success, aside from the obvious, uh, at that pitch uh, probably than they've had even in Castlebar. And I'm sure they will use the wide open space to take full advantage against Kildare. But it does feel that, considering the quarterfinals, I presume, will end up in Crow Park, semi-finals will be in Crow Park, that you might not be going much farther than that. Unnecessary you, to have you might not be going all that far. games in Crow Park. Okay. okay. Are you feeling confident? Come on, get it out there. I'm um, just looking at the odds here. Uh, Mayo 5-2 to on. That's about right. Um, so there you go that's, that's what I would expect. I would expect we're all expecting a Mayo win you know a Mayo expected a Mayo win sure look if we keep the ball kicked out to be there. happy exactly yeah making up the numbers uh, right go on what's next we're into green are we into green at Wales got to celebrate our Welsh friends I know Jared. there's a lot of love for you there uh, qualify for the World Cup the Welsh soccer team a very different Welsh soccer fan is different from the Welsh rugby then, then, fans. Well, then I thought you were going to put in a word there just for Welsh rugby fans. Uh, yeah, well, they're uh, not as great in number, uh, generally, the Welsh soccer fans. They don't play at the Millennium Stadium anymore. They play in the Cardiff City Stadium. And it's working out quite well for them. So they beat Ukraine. A goal to nil. Uh, it was a cracking game. First time Wales have qualified since 1958. Somehow hung on. Ukraine were all over them for the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, ben Davies has a sort of Richard Dunn in Moscow type performance where he's in the way of absolutely everything. Wayne Hennessy makes a load of ridiculous saves. Uh, Gareth Bale, uh, outstanding. Uh, what a leader for his team. Considering the criticism he gets for his time in Madrid and the type of character he is, it's insane how he turns around when he pulls on a Wales jersey and how he just raises the level of everybody around him. It was his free kick. Yarmolenko scores an own goal. And is, obviously for Ukraine, it's devastating. Yeah. Who, uh, as Dan McDonald was saying, manager said afterwards that anyone who played started against Wales won't play tomorrow night so it looks like they are going to make the full raft of changes uh, for that game tomorrow night but, All right. Uh, yes uh, Garth Bale 
massively underestimated. I put it out on Sunday night. Up there for best British footballer since Bobby Charlton. When you look at what he has achieved for club and for country. Remember, Wales got to the semi-finals of Euro 2016. He single-handedly brought them through qualification. And then he brings them to the semi-finals of a major championship. And now he qualifies them for a World Cup for the first time since 1958. Is he, is he not a bit of a tribute act to, at the moment, the Heritage Tour? He's not actually the, the only thing. Yes, he, he is, but he just rolls out the hits then when he turns up for Wales. So everybody's happy with that. He's a Heritage Tour maybe when he's at, at Real Madrid. And the speculation is that he might end up signing for, for Cardiff for three or four months just to get him to the World Cup. And obviously there's something going on where he completely fell out of love. But let's not forget he's won five Champions League medals and well I mean giving him yeah, a Champions League medal this year he scored three goals in the four other he scored arguably the greatest goal in the history of a Champions League final against Liverpool he Zidane's won better. countless other trophies for Real Madrid performed on big occasions for half a decade okay, he's one pretty of the good. best players he's pretty good. He's pretty good. look what he did when he was with Tottenham did, he was by he far the best player career. in the Premier League got them to a Champions League quarter final you can throw in Kenny Dalglish, Wayne Rooney, all you want, but Gareth Bale should be spoken about in those sort of terms. I'm surprised you didn't say Stephen Gerrard. Did you see Danny Murphy over the weekend saying that the best captain he played with at club level, not Stephen Gerrard, Robbie Keane? Wow. He said Robbie Keane was a better captain. Right, fair play to Robbie Keane. Next, quickly, last green. Oh, Colm has... Uh, it's the Colm, it's the Colm Buick show. Can I, get, can I get five minutes on this show without this lad rocking in? Where's the Steve, Where's the Steam tune? Yeah, where's my team tune? Well, you're I the forgot producer. About that. I forgot about it. Yeah, I'm thinking out loud here. I need my own team tune. We all need our own team tunes. No, just you, Colin. You're the, we all need in, them. In, in the great tradition of the, the giant... Well, well you see, I'll, it'd also be a nice warning for the listeners if we played your team tune. Yeah, yeah. well, that's true, yeah. They can, Come back in they seven can minutes. talk out. But uh, it was Nathan uh, Murphy's idea to have a Rafa Nadal segment in the green, which I think is beautiful for a guy who absolutely hates tennis and everything about it. Well, anyway, I know that Nathan was glued to his screen on Sunday afternoon when Rafael Nadal won his 14th French Open title. There he is there, celebrating with the trophy. Look how happy he is. Great to see. At the and same his time, his 22nd Grand Slam overall, making him two ahead of Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer in the all-time Grand Slam race. And for a 36-year-old, he's the oldest ever French Open winner, basically playing on one foot. He had to numb his foot in order to play. And afterwards, everyone was kind of anticipating the big question in the press conference is this the end for Rafael Nadal? And he didn't give us that juicy headline that we wanted. He said, we'll see how it goes. His aim is to play Wimbledon, which uh, starts in 20 days' time. But he needs to get uh, treatment before that. He's going to try a few things with his foot. Basically going to try and sever the nerve endings to the, to the brain that actually tells you you have pain. So they're going to try and cut that out in order for him to be able to get through two weeks of another Grand Slam. But what he did say categorically was that he cannot repeat the pain he went through in the last fortnight. He said he was nearly in tears and pain after a second round win against Carantan Mute because the ankle was so bad. He got through it eventually. But it's, it's, a, it's an amazing achievement and it's easy to take Nadal for granted in his greatness. Like He's 36 years old, as I said, the oldest ever winner, but he's playing on one foot and he beat Novak Djokovic fair and square in the quarterfinal. I think the, the one thing that did help Nadal was in Friday's semi-final against Alexander Zverev, which was an unbelievable match. It was 7-6, all. Nadal won the first set tie-break. Zverev had four first set uh, points and missed them. Uh, it was so tantalisingly close going into the end of the second set. And then Zverev went over on his ankle, an absolutely horrible injury. He yelped in agony. It seems like he's torn several ligaments there. So who knows how that match would have ended up. But... Nadal got through it. I think he was very grateful for the early ending in what was already a titanic battle and he 
was just absolutely way too good for Casper Ruud on Sunday. Ruud um, just idolising Nadal. There's a picture of him at the 2013 French Open final where he looks every bit the boy that he was and was just kind of honoured to share the court with Nadal. Probably paid him too much respect, but 6-3, Love, I think, is the second biggest obliteration in the French Open final. Funnily enough, the, the biggest is Nadal against Federer in the 2008 showdown weeks before those two contested arguably the greatest ever tennis match at the Wimbledon final. So, an absolutely monumental achievement for Nadal. I really thought Djokovic was going to win this, but Nadal beat him in that quarterfinal, which I think really was when the tournament peaked. That was kind of the worry. I mean, that's all the way back seven days ago. It was last Tuesday night. And after that, the, the Nadal-Zverev match was excellent until Zverev got the injury. But the, the Sunday match kind of felt like a third-round encounter because Nadal was just far too good. He's pretty good at tennis. It's fair, it's fair comment. Garros. Sorry? He's pretty good at Roland Garros. Well, no, I mean, that's not... Over, that's when we're talking not, about the greatness conversation, uh, and obviously we you know, have Nadal and Federer because there's more to greatness than just uh, winning Grand Slams and character comes into it. But if you're looking at Nadal and, was it, 14 at the French, yeah. does that victory in 2008 at Wimbledon, how big an influence does that have on your thoughts around who was greater of Federer and Nadal when they're both at their absolute peak? Yeah, I Nadal mean, on grass beats them. Yeah, I like that's that absolutely goes in his favour about talking about the greatest ever. I don't have a definitive answer personally. I can see arguments for all three, but undoubtedly Nadal beating Federer at peak Federer at Wimbledon, like like Federer just dominated Wimbledon as much as Nadal ended up dominating the French Open at that time. And for Nadal to beat him on what was his weakest surface at the time is is probably his greatest ever achievement. I mean, you think his team are saying that this French Open win is his greatest because of what all that he's had to overcome. Yeah. It's it's hard to believe this time last year. Nobody was saying that Nadal was going to to come out on top in the all-time race, but he's won, you know, the two Grand Slams so far. He's on for the calendar slam, which he's is pretty, a remarkable he's, achievement. He's relatively lucky that uh, Djokovic uh, is Djokovic and got uh, kicked out of America and then wasn't allowed to uh, go into Australia. So yeah. Djokovic hoist by well, his own petard, Djokovic you would playing say. Wimbledon. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. he's, he's allowed to play Wimbledon, but at the time of speaking, he's not allowed to play the US Open. So they could change their stance on that. And who knows if he'll ever be allowed to play the Australian Open again. But he probably will. But you're thinking, look, Nadal, it's a big argument to say he's never going to win a Grand Slam again because of his injury. And then uh, Djokovic is exactly 12 months younger. So this isn't over, this race. Like, let's say Federer's out of it. He's 40 years old. He's on 20. He might add one. He's not going to add two to level it up. But Djokovic has a bit more time on his side and fitness on his side. And the only thing that stops Djokovic is tournaments not allowing him to play, basically. But you said oh, he got a bit lucky, but he still had to beat Djokovic in the quarterfinal. And he did. He won three out of the four sets. All right. So you're saying, Dal, the figures don't lie. He's the winner. Okay. He's the winner on paper, but there's arguments for all three. And we all could right. go on all day about it. Uh, if, you, you're delighted with. if you want to get into the performance rankings, if you disagree or agree with anything that we've done or indeed have other suggestions, like the Munster Hurling final, which for whatever reason didn't make it into the green today, which is kind of disgusting, absolutely disrespectful to everybody involved. One of the all-time great sporting achievements, but you know, you can... Look at the producer. At, at Nathan Murphy on, uh, on Twitter is, is the one that you want to get to for that. Now, we will talk about that in great detail with John Duggan a little bit later on. In the meantime, that is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. Okay, so Team OTB took part, took on Triathai, and it was all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. Check out whoop.com for more. It was on the bank holiday Sunday, which is two days ago. Adrian Barry joins us now as, uh, as one of the participants. Adrian, how are you? Where's your medal? 
Great commitment, Jared. Great commitment from all the team who turned up on the day. Um, our medal went to the uh, the man who finished the race for us, Andy. Good man, Andy. So uh, he took away the medal for us. Right. But no, well done, Jared. Well done for for turning up on the day. Great, great effort out of you and to everybody on the team, indeed, who uh, who turned up. Really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, how did you get on? Uh, Sunday was yeah, Sunday was good. Uh, nice relaxing morning. I went out Saturday night, um, so I had a very relaxing right. uh, Sunday morning. Uh, listen, I take my beating. Take my. It's not going to be very good uh, entertainment or radio. I, or I, TV I do for remember for the last two months, the first, uh, you've been telling seconds. us how you were gonna you were gonna do your part for the team. You're a real team guy, a company man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Jerry, I did kids' birthday party. I just could not no, get out of. No, no, you didn't. You didn't. You reorganized your kids' birthday party to clash with Tri Thai because you were terrified of a little four K run. A little four K run. Well, listen, I, I I've done all of our other triathlons, our duathlons, everything else, and I couldn't help but notice that the duathlon seemed to be far more of a test than uh, what you did the weekend. And I managed to survive that no. just fine. Uh, it, the questions I have, right? I've been listening a lot to. Uh, you know, Phelps over here talking about his swimming training and, uh, you know, the effort that he's been putting in. The timing seems to suggest, Jerry, that you were quicker than Adrian in the water. Oh, by a mile, yeah. Well, I, what, I was, what, what happened there? I was going great in the swim until Tommy Rooney, who I caught up on, changed his swimming style and instead of doing the front crawl, goes and does a breaststroke and splashes me straight in the face it's the only video I've seen is it it looks as though it's shallow enough that you could walk in and that Tommy may be walking uh, while pretending to do the breaststroke (laughs) there was definitely it was shallow enough the old uh, water level uh, the water table not great at the moment the the salmon are gathering and can't get up the stream I'm told so you know uh, global warming has had an impact on this too but yeah you you could have walked it like um you know, I'm not saying anything. So you had um, you'd both obviously done the duathlon, which was the run, the cycle, and then the run. So this time you're replacing the five k at the start with the swim. Did we did we both do that, or did no, somebody no, else cry do, off I, on the last at the last no, moment no, I, in the style I, of Nathan Murphy? Is I that turned it? up? I turned up, but I you didn't. He didn't do it. He didn't. Did you I'm know he didn't do it? What do you mean he didn't do it? He didn't do the duathlon. He was there. I saw him. No, he didn't. Oh, two years ago, he didn't finish it. If the head of content had looked at looked at any of the uh, post productions out of that, he would know that I never ran it, that I didn't do it. But like, look, Nathan, as he said himself, he's a bit like the Tories. There, don't worry about that stuff that went on before. You need to forget about all that now and move on. This is exactly the previous management screwed that up. What I wanted to ask was, how much more difficult is it when you do the swim rather than a run? before you go on the bike and you're coming out and you're wet and you're cold and you're having to do the transition like Adrian doesn't know that either <laughs> I have no answer to that that'd be Jer that's what I'm asking Jer he did He did uh, a 7 minute swim and then retired so fair play no, to you Adrian seven minutes, at least for showing seven up 48. and by the way like look I accept that you know every, every literally everybody else who turned up about 300 people who turned up on the day apart from myself Brian and Andy everybody did the full thing 700 but, in the morning and then 700 in the, in the yeah. one after us yeah, 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 the other races, absolutely. Um, but like, look, it was, and you know, if you're going to do any leg, you want to do the first one because it looks like you're doing the full thing. And uh, so I got on the buzz out of that. It was great, I cracked. The water was colder, I thought, than I uh, than I'd expected. Really? So, I was going to say the water was freeze. much much warmer than I had expected. It wasn't. I wasn't cold at all. Did you get a head freeze? No. I got a head freeze at the start, and there was a lot of traffic. There was a lot of people milling around. A lot of people, and I know Nathan's taking the mick out of my time there, but a lot of people slower. Uh, a lot of slow people. Even the new. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was going past a lot. Now I, I was going past some of them as I was walking as well on the uh, the raised riverbed there. But um, very yeah, briefly, uh, a quick shout out to Shane Hannan who did uh, under five minutes per kilometer for the was it under four minutes per kilometer. Could have been under four minutes. It was insane. 
yeah, it was just over four minutes, I think, just over a touch, four minutes um, so at the end of it. So Because there's obviously internal off-the-ball rivalries, and uh, because um, I, as you say, bottled it, and Adrian uh, just did the swim, you know, we didn't have the middle-aged man uh, rivalry so for three I, of us, I, I, so I you, win you win that. You've got your medal, yeah, and uh, you're not going to take it off just, all day. Nice of you to mention that there, Well Nathan. done. You're like the kids coming home from uh, school sports day. Well oh. done, Jer. Everyone's delighted for you. Uh, but the other rivalry was the Tommy Rooney-Shane Hannon rivalry, which in previous incarnations we couldn't tell who won because one of them did it in Monaghan and one of them did it in Clare. And Tommy, there was an awful lot of bitching and moaning of, ah, oh, my, my timer didn't work at one stage oh, and all of this. Oh. So now that they were on the same course at the same time... The same bitching happened. First off, Tommy forgot his runners and had to borrow a pair of runners. Oh, I got the call at 11 o'clock Saturday night. Yeah, yeah luckily Brian just because the same, same size as him. Tommy actually said that they felt better than the size he had been asking for. So I think he's uh, discovered a new size. And then there was a problem with his timing chip. That's why I caught him on the cycle. It, it fell off. He had to stop. It was like, a, it was just, you know, it was, he's, he's basically the Mick McCarthy of this whole thing. They let me down. Uh, we have to ask questions about Jared's cycling ability. Like, yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't be an incredibly fast cyclist, uh, but it's quite insane how fast you are for a you know 45 year old man. For an outlet, you, you were you faster than O'Driscoll? No, I wasn't. I was a okay. minute behind him. All right, but even still, he is a professional athlete. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was, I was surprised. I was two minutes behind Shane. I was a bit pissed off at that. But then, sure, look. Your bike was, you know, you do, do have the uh, best bike in the entire field. Uh, courtesy of, it's alone from my good friends at Specialized, who I wholeheartedly recommend. Right, well done. Uh, yeah, no, he's he, like a racehorse, isn't he, Hannon? He turns up in the day, he's like got holes in his shorts, absolutely no gear that is appropriate to be to be wearing on the day, but he's just like a he had, absolute He literally had a holy arse. I saw that. Did anyone yeah. go in uh, of all the competitors without a wetsuit? Like, is anyone just going with the Speedos and away I go? You're not allowed, but actually... Oh, really? I, I think if you did do that, it would massively speed you up. I lost five minutes in the transition. That was kind of where I ended up getting screwed. But at that stage, I was like, I'm just going to finish this today. Next year, however, next year, it's on the 11th of June. They've already announced... Sorry, it's the, the bank holiday weekend... It's the same same weekend next year. The Champions League final is the 11th of June, so we're all, we're going to do the whole thing, aren't we? All of us. Well, I see. It's always um, going to be my kid's birthday around this time of the year. Yeah, there's always going to be a reason that you're going to pull out. Is what you're saying? Um, an email in there this morning from um, somebody at Lanesborough, the two provinces. Uh, triathlon. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, starts in Lanesborough. I was, uh, was coming along for a jar. It's your home territory, much, of course. Start, close enough. She was saying. Uh, Started of July, 750 swim, 20k cycle and 5k run. You'd be able for that. The running is the problem. Uh, what was the reaction in his own hometown for Jerry Gilroy, the returning hero? Uh, you've never seen anything like it. Brian O'Driscoll, Brian who? Brian who? Sorry, oh, get out of my way there. Where's Gilroy? Let me I, at him. I do have to say, the town looked spectacular. The bit, there's a bit on the run, which I'd never been on before, down by the river, where you're running along the river and the river's so peaceful and calm. And honestly, like, uh, if you want to go and have a nice weekend and have some beautiful nature walks, then go and visit a Thai and it won't be 500 quid a night for a hotel room. Right. Uh, good experience overall, Adrian. We've got to go here. Yeah, yeah. Great old buzz. And they, 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 even like people were saying, you know, the competitor, you were talking about the competitors that went early in the day and later in the day. And like there tends to be a real like elbows out, doesn't there? Like legs flailing type stuff. Whereas with that one, there was like lads swimming down the pool going... Hi Mick, I'm over here. Come on, join me in this. Like people, there was a real good old community buzz about it. And uh, for the rest of us who were only doing bits, managing to sort of tap into some of that, we got the best of everyone. No, it was great. Great fun. Well done, Adrian. We'll be back next year. Probably, yeah. 
Hey, yes, uh, I'll have to, I'm going to have to take that one. Right, 16 minutes past eight, time for us to turn our attention to something uh, completely different. Uh, we'll have the full video of that up in the coming days on our socials. And thanks to everybody at Whoop for uh, teaching us how to train properly. Um, David Connolly is with us to talk about a disastrous performance from the Republic of Ireland at the weekend and to look forward to what's coming over the next week or so. David, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. Very well, you? Okay, um... So we, we were having a yeah we were teasing through what happened in the second half and and my contention is that it's 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 not that we were dominated in the second half it's kind of worse than that is that we had loads of the ball but we actually don't really seem to know what we want to do with it when we have it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, it was I, th- I thought it was a, it was a hard watch really, and I'm sure I'm really sure that that Stephen will look back on a lot of of what of what he done in this game. You know, in terms of the starting team. You know, um, I, I, I think he could have done things a little bit differently. I said this on a, I did a podcast last week and, you know, the starting team, I, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I would have done something different on this. You've got to remember as well, Jed, that, that these Nation League games, I know that they you play for something, but they do in effect replace friendlies, right? Now, would me or countless others have got a chance to play for Ireland if, there was always something at stake like the Nations League. I, d- I don't know. Whereas I got my debut in a, in a friendly and so did loads of the other lads who went on to get, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 caps or whatever, you know. So if you're not going to play and risk starting players, you know, because you want to win the league, as, as Stephen said, I think that's a dangerous road because I think it was the perfect chance to really experiment a little bit. And I think it's a wasted opportunity. Are we not past the experimentation stage, David? He he had probably more experimentation than he wanted in the First Nations League because of all the COVID issues. You know, it's over a dozen players have had their first competitive start that while, yes, there's always an opportunity for one or two guys in a Festia Bazella to come in over these four games and maybe Will Smallbone gets promoted quite soon from the 21s. But you still look at that squad. It's guys with 10, 20 caps that actually... We're at a stage now of betting them in, of them becoming those established players who do go on to have 60, 70 caps and they need to play and they need to know a system and they need to be able to perform in days like this for the qualifiers that are coming pretty yeah. quickly. No, I know what you're saying, but th- there's so many nuances to football that you can't just say, ah, uh, you know, those lads have had the caps, they should still be playing. You know, f- say, for, say for example, you're Callum Robinson and you, you, you've barely played You've barely played in the last couple of months of the season, right? His shot selection is so off. Not just the other night, but against Lithuania as well. I look back at it. His decision-making. If you can't go and play, uh, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a Will Keane or, 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 or try something different, you know, in terms of the top part of the pitch, Michael Oberfemi, if you can't do something different away from home, for the first 45, because, you know, you're sticking to your tried and trusted. I, I think it's I think it's dangerous, you know. I do. And, you know, Callum looked a half a yard off. You know, a couple of through balls went, went early doors, and I think Michael would have got on the end of them. He almost did the wrong thing, bringing Michael on. I think once you've scored goals and you've had a really good season, start the kid. Start him from the off, and then at least you've pacified and you've gone, right, boom, I've given you your chance. And if he doesn't take it within 60-odd 60, 60 minutes, or even after 45, you can still change it. Psychologically, I think it's bad because you've got players there who performed really well at club level 
and you've still got some players starting who haven't quite performed at club level uh, and in a division below. So I, I think it was a perfect chance. And now I think he's, as he, as he did with the subs, he was caught between a rock and a hard place. He brought Michael on, who's, who probably hasn't been used to coming on as a sub for the last two months. He's been starting games of football for Swansea. You know, and then he's coming short. There's a few things I think I think I would have done a little bit differently and not just the front part of the pitch. Come on, t- thought, tell us, talk us through those because I, I actually well, thought I, Troy Parrott I, I, I maybe thought, would have been better off the bench. But anyway, go on. Yeah, there's, there's a few like that. I think, you know, you, he, he didn't really know. They said they were surprised how Armenia were going to play. So you could have had a, a, an old-style target man. I mean, I was looking, it was 20 years to the day, you know, Niall Quinn flicked on for Robbie to score. You know, it could have been a keen up there flicking on uh, because you could you could then go long and go short and play through. They weren't sure how Armenia were going to play, right? But also the surprise factor of a, of a, of a Keane, of an Obafemi, might, might have just unsettled them a little bit rather than knowing, well, he's probably going to play you know, Callum Robinson down through the middle. You know, they would have watched all the videos in the last few games. You know, little things like that. I thought John Egan was off. I thought he was really off as a left side. So I thought uh, the disallowed goal, you know, which he got away with, but his body position, his body shape, he got turned, he didn't get across. Duffy had to get across. I, I, thought, uh, I thought they had a real off day down the flanks. You know, so there was a few things, whether Manning would have started for his ball playing ability. You know, you're going away from home to a team you want to dominate. I think you, you just get better footballers in the side. You know? And there was a few things. It's all right saying this, but I kind of did say this before the game, so I, I can stand by my my opinion on it, you know, which I, I think he, he got wrong. And I don't think you should be talking up too much about winning leagues and stuff. I think you just, you just crack on with like, you know, the longer term process and, and, and things like winning your first tackle, even the kickoff, you know what we did from the kickoff. I mean, you've seen the kickoff, right? The, the, the ball goes back. Armenia drop all 11 players and we just play a 90 yard punt up the pitch. And I'm thinking, is that, you know, it was like 50 yards of space to ke- take the ball into. So, it was a bit of a predictable start, and that's how the game went, really. On the bigger issue of the system, David, and maybe this feeds into you know changing uh, some of the personnel as well. Like Ireland have now settled on this three-man defence, and you know Stephen Kenny puts it back to the England game and how Ireland were ripped apart, and he said this wasn't going to happen again. Uh, feels a lot more comfortable, and it maybe plays Ireland's strengths in terms of depth, but it get. Against a team like Armenia, who like Ireland at seventy percent possession, so like we talk about a change in era and style. Like I think the Georgia game under Martin O'Neill was thirty percent over in Georgia. Now we've seventy percent. It's a similar style result, though. Do Ireland need two formations? Is that easy to do at international level where you don't have a lot with the players? Like, do they need three centre halves against Armenia, against Luxembourg, against Azerbaijan? No, they don't. But I mean, it depends how you play with those centre halves. Look, there's no way those two lads in the middle of the pitch are going to cover you know, 80 wide, an 80 wide yard pitch because any, any good team you're coming up against will make your back three into a back five. You know, they'll push their wingers high and wide, pen them back in, you know, the full backs will be going. And that'll mean whether it's whoever, Cullen or Hendrick, those two have got to cover the whole middle of the pitch. So there's no way, for example, I mean, Ukraine will probably change, right? Because they've had the same team for two games in a row now. They'll probably, he'll probably... Uh, alter his team but their three in midfield will absolutely dominate R2 in the middle of the park there's so much work for those two to get through um, and against better teams you know that, that that's going to be an issue so I don't like personally I'm not a massive fan of, of a back three a lot of these lads do play in a back three 
you know. But some of them, like Duffy, would have known from Brighton. I mean, they play a back three, they play a back four, they play a diamond at times. You know, they play all sorts of different formations. Um, whether the back three for Ireland is, 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 you know, I do think you need some flexibility within that. And you have to encourage, if you've got a lot of possession, encourage those lads sort of, you know, the outside centre-backs over the pitch. But then it's a delicate balance. You've got to cover them as well. So, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't be totally wedded to him. It has served him well, don't get me wrong. But uh, I just think, you know, we didn't have enough players in the box. Another thing. We didn't have enough players. You go back to the Belgian game, we had like five players in the box. On both our goals, we had five lads in the box. You know, the other night we had two well, there was a good you know, cross. The, there was a really good cross that came in at one stage, and there was literally nobody there and kind of going. There was no one there. Yeah, exactly. So well, that back three at times, if you're going to play counter attacking football, you might only have one or two in the box. You know, a little bit of possession, but breaking from deep at times and putting lads in behind. Like Bene, who, who was quick and got in behind well. But often there'd be, you know, there's no attacking midfielder getting in the box because they can't, because the likes of Cullen and, and Hendrick have got to cover 80 yards width across the pitch plus the whole length. I mean, very rarely are they going to be making the box. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to. They're not going to be making an Alan Brown type run. Well, is, any it, of them. is there a fix? <clears throat> is there a fix? If if so, if you pre-match, if you're picking that team again, you said you would put Obafemi and and Keane up front. Is that right? That would have been your two, and then your. Well, I would have. I, yeah, I would have. I would have gone for something only because I remember there was a game we played under Mick as well. We played. I think it might have been Andorra away, and. And we knew they would park the bus. Now, I mean, they didn't park the bus, but we knew they would park the bus. But I think he played me and... I don't know if he played me and Robbie or me and uh, two little lads up top. And anyway, we just couldn't get through because it, it, was, it was impossible. So after uh, Mick, after about 20 minutes, changed it. And he brought the other book, Quinney on or Cass, just as a different route, you know, in terms of if you can't go through them, we can go over them and, and, and little bits like that. Now, I, I think I just think for the first 45, he could have tried... Uh, uh, something different, an Obafemi and, and a Keane. You, you know, I, I do. I don't think there would have been anything lost in that game. You know, rather than sticking with your, 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 your I, I think Callum needs to, and he'll be under pressure next season, Stephen, because some of these players might not be playing that regularly. You know, and and the likes of some others might be. You know, if Michael Obafemi is banging in goals again, how can how can he be left out? I mean, it's uh, he's got he's got to be starting games. The Armenia one was perfect because now he'll probably start against Ukraine, and I think it'll be better to start him away. For his first one, you know? I think it's something Stephen Kenny has struggled with throughout his time is how to get that balance with players' fitness and sharpness and to marry it all together. And like Callum Robinson is the perfect example of that. You think back to the Luxembourg game where Ireland were beaten. He played brilliantly against Serbia and you think he's just going to kick on from here. They have a game four days later and he couldn't get a touch of the ball because he wasn't used to playing two matches in four days and was way off it. And even when you're going through players there, David, like, like John Egan didn't play well. But John Egan played every game this season. So is John Egan not playing well because he's fatigued actually at the end of the season? And we've other guys who haven't played any football, so they're not right at it. So I'm, I'm not in any way making an excuse for Stephen <laughs> Kenny around this, but he needs to figure that out as to how you get the most dynamic players on the pitch at the one time. He needs to sort it out pretty quickly. Well, I would say this as well. If you look at, um, the, say, say England, he, he, the Gareth Southgate started James Justin, right? And James had a very difficult first half and he took him off at half time. Now, whether he's injured or not, I don't... I don't but the point being, you know, there's there's not there's nothing wrong with with if, if lads are a bit off the pace, you know, making a change early early doors to go and to go and change things and and maybe I I just think it, in that game, uh, uh, you know, you look at how Manning has played at times, like say against Lithuania, I thought he's excellent, you know, with the ball 
and and I think we just needed more quality, you know, with the ball. Us, as I said, our shot selection was dreadful. You know, we, the times we were shooting and and we didn't have width when we we're taking shots on from ridiculous angles. It was yeah, it was a there's a, a few things that I know. It's not all doom and gloom. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, there's a few things that that it feels it feels a little bit doom and gloom. It does. It felt a little bit like this is a replay of the Luxembourg game where it's a team we're supposed to be better than we have more possession we don't really know what to do with the ball and we're then therefore open to a fluky but brilliant long range goal yeah I, look I can under, the, the long range goal obviously we can you, you know why is Michael coming short there he's come on a sub his first thought you should be drilling into his ear your strength is in behind you've got to stretch the game for us do not be coming short he's not a link man you know, that's not his game. And he comes short after we've been under pressure. Cullen tries to find him to feet when really he should be banging that over the top and then everyone can get up the pitch. But that's just one moment. We we, we can't look too, you know, it, it's more the general the general game, you know. That, that, I think it's that a good I point think, David makes as well about James Justin, who, you know, you feel sorry for him. It's his England debut. He's a bit of a nightmare and he's hauled off <laughs> after 45. Like there's, It felt they were a bit slow with the changes. And like at halftime, it felt... Ireland, you know, we're creating some chances. Ben should have scored just before half time. Uh, they had a lot of possession. You sort of thought Ireland are going to score early in the second half and they'll kick on. They'll win 2 0. We'll all move on with our lives. But very quickly, it was clear within five minutes that that wasn't going to be the case. And they waited and they waited and they waited. It, it felt as though it didn't need just Michael Obafemi. It needed a, a pretty major overhaul quite quickly at the start of that second half in terms of system, in terms of players. And it just took too long. And by that stage, Armenia had just taken control of the game. Yeah, exactly. that is, that's in-game management. You know, there's two types of management. You can, well, there's loads of them. But, you know, there's pre-game, you have all the analysis. And I played under some, some, some managers, you know, who'd be brilliant at this. Pre-game, all the analysis, the video, highlighting strengths, weaknesses, how to attack teams, where, you know, where their strengths lie, where they're vulnerable. Great. The other, the other key uh, attribute of a manager is in-game management. In-game Right, what we plan for actually is not happening here, you know. Like Mick, like Mick McCarthy having the the, the wherewithal to make a change. Don't get me wrong, it's a must-win game, but I think it was 25, 30 minutes. You know what? This isn't working. I, I don't. I can wait till half time. So he made a change. You know, uh, after like 25, 30 minutes. Did you get you hauled know, off? I, I did get hauled off. Yeah, yeah. But well, I don't. I, I don't hold anything against Mick right. for that because I think it was either me or Robbie. And and uh, to be fair to Mick, at times you might. Like, I think we played around in the World Cup qualifiers, me and Robbie up top, and I stayed on and Robbie came off. You know, but in this regard, I, he, he was obviously Robbie's, you know, his footwork around a box. Obviously, you know, you understand that, like, disappointed. But pre-game, right, this is the team that's actually in-game, 20 minutes, 25, this is not working. Yeah, they are part of the bus. So there's two types of, and some managers are fantastic pre-game, doing everything with all the analysis. I think another real skill is in-game. How you affect games when things are not. This is not planning as well, or I tell you, this is going quite well. We 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 can do something else here as well, and that's that's a different skill set. Some comments from our listeners. Robert Spencer says a three-man defence can be fruitful. With Chelsea, they play Cesar Aspilicueta at right centre back. England during the Euros played Walker at right centre back. Put Coleman out at right centre back. It saves Duffy and Egan from being on the ball. Now. You want Nathan Collins in the team because he's been our Premier League defender who's got the most game time. But perhaps there is a case for Seamus Coleman being one of those three defenders because he could 
be someone who is going to take the ball and not be forced or feel like oh Josh Cullen is demanding the ball off me I have to give it to him he's like no go on you you get up to pitch I'm going to bring it up to the halfway line because I'm not being challenged here even a little quirk a little kink in the in the selection might have changed things for you know for the better at the weekend yeah look maybe there's plenty of teams look Tottenham played at three there's that's yeah, we can all give examples of a back three, and it's right. You know, Tottenham have played a three, but they played without the ball. You know, they play counter-attack. I've saw them against Brentford, and they were absolutely dominated, but yet they got the ball into the front a couple of times and looked really, really dangerous and had the pace of Son to get in behind and the link-up of, of Kane. And, you know, they've got the front part of the pitch, which is just, you know, absolutely off the chart in terms of world-class ability. So, you know, there's different there's different... You know, there's different ways of, of, of being a three, but, you know, that's... We're, Ireland aren't, probably aren't at that sort of level at the minute, are they? So, no. Uh, so. uh, Danny Mack says, Ireland are missing one or two regular Premier League players. Until then, we ain't going nowhere. Is this, like... Look, we've never had fewer players playing in the Premier League and than we playing had last fewer season. minutes. And playing fewer <laughs> minutes. At, like, we, and we don't have anybody near being a superstar. And we know it international football. Look at Zinchenko. Look at Zinchenko for Ukraine playing middle of midfield, running the show in the two games. Like, he was unbelievably good. And we've nobody near that level right now. And that's not, we don't have the players because I don't think we can ever give that as an excuse for Stephen Kenny because he ruled it out right at the start has been an excuse. But you do just feel that one or two guys, uh, you know, Declan Rice and Jack Grealish and Ireland are qualifying quite easily. But one or two guys getting to another level uh, would elevate the entire thing. And the question marks that are there about players not playing football like Duffy and Hendrick should be two key men right now and neither of them played a game of football in four months yeah what what like yeah. what, what that comes that, that that's so it is so I can't tell you how important that is it doesn't matter who you are you know you can't be wedded if you're Ireland manager we've known this you know down the years you can't be wedded to selecting players who are playing or in form we know that right and that that comes down to the other ability of, of Stephen which he's you know he's been international manager now for a number of years obviously with the 21s as well so he would have had this in terms of selecting players who are playing those that aren't playing those that might be a, a better club but aren't playing those at a lower level but are playing and how you balance that out and that's a key that is a key skill but it's so hard to to suddenly if you're not playing and, and it puts you in a puts you in a situation as a manager as well that you're backing players obviously that, that are not playing football at the minute and 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 it puts you under pressure in a different way in terms of your your selection of those players because how long does that continue you know if Travers is number 1 and playing in the premier league next season and Gavin Bazunu is in league we don't know where who who is he going to play in goal it's a nice luxury to have don't get don't get me wrong but you know same with Quiven if Quiven's not starting games but 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 Mark Travers is What's he going to do? I mean, it's going to be very difficult, for example, to to stick with somebody who's not playing football. I mean, you know, even if he is a he feels a, a superior goalkeeper, it's difficult, very difficult. Do you keep picking Duffy and Hendrick for now? Well, I think Jeff's had a tough time because his loan didn't work out. But I thought he played with, with the ball first half. I thought he he got on it, and I thought he he released lads like Obafemi and Rumson in behind really well. I just think. I think they need another player in there. They need another player, whether it's Alan Brown or they need a. Th- I think they need a three-man midfield. I'll be sticking another one in there. See, and, 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 and again, you know. like it, it's a relatively slight change. But if if it hadn't been Paris and it had been Brown and if, or if it had been Knight instead of Paris, then the team 
it feels like would have just been better balanced and and we would have had more numbers and there would have been there would have been a bit of cut and thrust to the well, ball. I, I, uh, Ukraine will have a well. Let's say that, that let's say we were playing Ukraine a game ago. They'd have a three man midfield, right? I don't know whether they will against us because they might, you know, a lot of those lads now might be they're resting all the, they're resting anybody who yeah. played against Wales. Yeah, exactly. What's the, they're going to have five games in thirteen days, so this is set up for us. They have played a back three before. You know, they've played a similar formation to us. Um, uh, the last couple of games, few games, they've played a back four. So we we kind of don't know, you know, we don't know how they're going to line up at the minute. However, their midfield is not going to be as strong. So R2 against against their three might be enough. You know, might be enough anyway. But if it was against, you know, the Zinchenkos and the Malinovskis, then I, I, I would have definitely gone with a, another player in the middle of the park. Given that... Ukraine are coming off a fairly devastating defeat to Wales at the weekend. What should our expectation level be? To me or to, to Nathan? Um, well, go on, Nathan. I mean, what's uh, Nathan? I'll chip in after. I, I, think, uh, you know, I, I think, as David said, if Ukraine were coming and this was their first match and they were going with that midfield, uh, Ukraine are by far and away the best team in this group. Uh, and if they're at full strength, would beat Ireland. Um, but the fact that they're going to be a second-string Ukraine side, the devastation of what happened on Sunday. Uh, there's an opportunity at home for Ireland. It's going to be a, a big crowd. Uh, I think they need to get something from the game. Like This turns very, very quickly. Lose to Armenia, lose at home. you got Scotland coming, who again, you would say on paper, are probably a better team uh, than Ireland. So I think Ireland needs something from this match. I'd expect to be three, four changes to the Ireland team, but certainly not a game they should be losing if Ukraine are making 11 changes. David, last word on this to you. Yeah, I, I look. There will, there will be changes, I think, uh, but obviously from Ukraine and, and hopefully from us. You know, freshening it up. I think the lads, some of the lads that played, I think would 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 probably come out. Um, I know Sayog Bene was was a real threat, and he is a real threat. He'll probably stay in the team, but I'd like to see just I, I don't know Manning come in on on the left hand side for you know maybe that bit of quality and craft he's he's got on the ball. Maybe Alan Brown come in as well. Um, and whether it's an Oberfemi and, and a Keane or, or one of those two, you know, one, one of those two. But I, ju- I just think you missed a trick with, with not playing them against, against Armenia. And, and now you're kind of, he's kind of caught a little bit thinking, right, because if you're, if you're Oberfemi, you'll be going, right, is this going to be my chance now? Because w- what you want him to do is then, whichever one of those players comes in, they then build again to the next game, which yeah. is why the Armenia, Armenia one, Armenia one is the weaker one of all these games. Should have been the one to start them in. And if they play well, bang, right, you're in for the next one against Ukraine and away you go. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last one, a comment from Shifty Lad says, David's really good at talking about the breakdown of matches and tactics, but am I the only one looking at the bear in the corner waiting for it to move? <laughs> uh, well, it's not Ted. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't move in that sort of way. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, I'm always in my son's, uh, my son, it's my son's room, but it's painted pink, but he's, he's fine. He's, he's all right with that. He doesn't move. The bear's a big bear. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, we're going to need a bigger, bigger bear. <laughs> Good stuff. David, enjoy the game. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye bye. David Connolly giving us some thoughts there on the Republic of Ireland's 1 0 defeat to Yarvin. Um, 1 0 defeat to Armenia in Yarvin, even. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's time for the papers. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's just bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. 
Okay, so there's really only a couple of key stories in the newspapers. One, uh, O'Rourke tops shortlist for me. Hot seat is the headline on the back of the Irish Independent. It's not the O'Rourke you might think. Malachy O'Rourke, um, the former Monaghan manager who guided the Farney County to two Ulster titles, has been touted as one possible candidate. This is Conor McKeown's piece. And then also, there is, however, some hope in me that Colin O'Rourke would allow his name to go forward for nomination on this occasion, which would be very interesting. So... A uh, shit or get off the pot moment for Colin O'Rourke if that opportunity is going to arise. And then the other big story overnight is that Phil Mickelson has signed up for the Rebel Tour. It's not really breaking news. It's kind of the confirmation that Phil Mickelson is a man of his word. He's uh, doing what he said he would do and he's back in the Saudis. John Duggan, good morning to you. Ger and Nathan, how are we doing? And interesting that he did an interview with Sports Illustrated where he's admitted that he's had problems with gambling. Uh, so I quote this my gambling got to the point of being reckless and embarrassing I had to address it and I've been addressing it for a number of years and for hundreds of hours of therapy I feel good where I'm at there my family and I and have been financially secure for some time and asked about wagering and practice rounds he said on the golf course is creating competition but it's the anxiety the other things that come across with gambling off the course and addiction off the course that I really needed to address so even the wealthy are not immune from problems and it's glad that he got the help that uh, he obviously needed in that regard so the no-brainer for Phil Mickelson. Uh, the Saudi money has changed the game potentially forever. So obviously Phil Mickelson, we thought had thrown the whole thing into disarray when he called him scary, and uh, we wondered would that be the end of it because Beep. Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson. I did. I sort of mumbled it there. Didn't <laughs> you did, you did, it was clear. Beep. Most uh, schools are off today. I think. Anyways, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Not this so, Tuesday. They were off yesterday. No, no, my, my kids are off today. Are they? Yes, and long you kind of mumbled, mumbled the name. You, you, you mumbled it. Anyways, um, so. They've gone about this in a very smart way, Live Golf, in that they said, we're just going to do the tournaments anyways. We're going to put up a huge prize fund and we'll have the world number 100 win four million quid and we hope the jealousy will become too much for the better players in the world. But also, they were left in a position, a very embarrassing position a fortnight ago where they'd no big names at all. So because they have endless wealth, they basically went and made Dustin Johnson an offer of around 125, 150 million upfront, guaranteed, never mind the four million quid first prize, that Dustin Johnson simply couldn't turn down you got to think with well, he all could, of these he golfers could, he could, he could. sorry morals are not an issue here yeah, like, he, he the could've, human rights is down. not an issue for I don't believe for 99% of these players it's not part of their thinking at all it's the risk of majors it's the risk of legacy far greater than human rights so if Dustin Johnson's worth 150 million Phil Mickelson they reckon has got 200 million up front to go and commit to this he's basically handed in his notice for the PGA Tour pointedly said in his statement I will still play the majors, which is the only real... But he, uh, he hasn't said he's resigning. He doesn't want to resign from the PGA Tour. He's not resigning from the PGA Tour. But it's hard to see it way back. They're going to have to kick him out. So Some players have resigned. So Kevin Na announced Kevin Na that he's resigned. resigned, so they can't throw him out. It, there's a lot of speculation on night that Louis Westays and Sergio Garcia are also going to resign from the PGA Tour, so they can't actually take action from them. But like this is pretty seismic stuff for the game of golf in how it develops over the next while. And from a purely sporting point of view, I think the worry for golf fans is that we end up in a state of flux for the next five or six years where the majors are not the majors or the tournaments the tournaments are not the the history isn't there that we end up with majors with some of the best players in the world not playing in them. There's almost an asterisk around it. Like And tough luck for those players who've gone off and taken the money. But that we're in a situation like boxing where there's five best players in the world and we don't know really who it is and they never actually end up playing against each other and I think that's a very real possibility now that Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy are in the same field 
three, four times a year, max. Yeah. Which I don't think is good for anybody. No, it's, but I, it's about the fans. I always think sports about the fans and it's about competition and you want to see the best against the best. It's a bit like darts in the 90s on dart split in the 1990s and ultimately the darts on Sky turned out to be the proper darts. Um, but who's the audience for this? Unless, you know, it becomes a situation where you have another 10, another 20. At the moment, there's no audience for this. The only thing this is about is the golfer's own set. They've started to hire broadcasters, though, haven't they? And uh, Arlo White has committed, uh, who was NBC in America's main Premier League commentator. So he's never commentated on golf, so he's going to be their lead broadcaster. Uh, one of the stories in the New York Post was his salary's gone from several hundred thousand a year to several million a year. Uh, so he's not going to be a familiar voice for golf. But there is no audience for this right now. They cannot give away tickets for this event in Centurion. So I, I think a few weeks ago I went through the various price packages and you could pay eight grand and you literally get to walk in the fairway with the players for that sort of money. And they were aiming at a top class market. Now you can get the tickets for free and it seems they still can't get rid of the tickets. Well, that'll all change though after a little period of time when, you know, it's, it's 54 holes, is that right? Yeah, 54, 54 holes. holes yeah. Again, and this no, is all no a lot of nonsense. Like Phil Mickelson put it in his statement, they're all, it's all about growing the game, it's all about new adventures, exciting wah, wah, new ways wah, wah. of looking at golf. It's all about their self-interest. Like, there's the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, the team event every year. No good players play in it because they just want to play stroke play all of the time. Yeah. Nobody's looked at golf and thought, a day less is what we need. What they've looked at is, what we don't need is a back nine that takes three hours. That's what golf needs in terms of speeding up. So the only reason these players are going is for money. But when you look at the money, 200 million, Phil Mickelson's never turned that down. And again, as you work your way down, the, one of the amateur players, they reckon, was getting 6 million up front to show up. This, to well, the worry for the PGA Tour is that the young guys coming out of college will be attracted by this and they could be the players of the future. And the PGA Tour, and I haven't really heard anything from the DP World Tour either, have to take a stand. But it's difficult. You've, like, you look at legal cases probably coming. Well, Peter these Laurie was on Golf last contractors. week. Peter, Peter was on the um, committee on the European Tour and he'd made a few calls and his understanding was that the DP World Tour can't impose suspensions that that is not part of their rules and regulations. It'll be fines. and Fines are meaningless. Like, golf will just cover yeah. the fine. It's instantly. like, well, oh, so Rory C, whatever, dumped Dustin Johnson mm. and Graham McDowell. So what? So, yes, they can deny them Ryder Cup captaincy as this goes along. But I think Graham McDowell, who wants to go to Adair and be the captain, is looking at this thinking Adair is still five years away. A lot of water under the bridge between now and then. Are they still going to be in a position where they're denying people the right of cup accounts? Probably not, because then? everybody will have taken the money. Game. Isn't that what happens? So ultimately, everybody takes a portion of the money or enough of the money so that um, so that there's a live golf swing to the world tour, which is an amalgamation mm. of all the tours. It's an existential threat to the PGA Tour, though, because they're going to have tournaments in the United States. And so what will happen? They'll, they'll, they'll have to come to an accommodation. They'll have to work together. They'll have to decide that you can have... the, the these two months and that'll be your tournaments like don't mess with MBS because they're, 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 remember the Saudi tournament was a part of the European tour so they could have had them inside the tent and look what's happened now so don't mess with MBS I think that's still a possibility and listen you know when uh, the criticism that was there of Shane Lowry the point that Shane Lowry would have made was that the European tour signed up for this and I was a European tour member which is why I signed up for this yeah. so the European tour were in now there's a divide and I think the and who knows what's going to happen. I think the most likely scenario, as you say, is that we'll end up and actually Saudi Golf will start investing in the PGA Tour and there'll be an amalgamation because the PGA Tour never turned down. No, <laughs> are not in a position to turn down billions of dollars. They had all these player all incentive programs last exactly. year to keep people in the hunt. But there's a very interesting article in the Washington Post that I'd recommend people read on Greg Norman and a profile in him. And this guy is just hell-bent on 
pushing this through. And it seems personal, and he's fallen out with Jack Nicholas about it, and it's got quite, got quite bitter. He would have been very friendly with Jack and seen Jack as a father figure in the game. So this is getting really, really bitter. And Greg Norman is the figurehead of that. So as long as he's at the helm of this thing, I think it's going to be quite um, acrimonious. Okay. Uh, 8.49 this morning. John, we should talk about your weekend. You were in Thurless for the Munster Hurling final. Ah, lads, what a, what a day to be alive. You know, I, I, I can say to everybody, folks, uh, I know it's expensive at times, but try to go to live sport if you can, because this is why we, uh, was why we get out of bed in the morning. And um, I could just feel, you could just feel when you're there, this is beginning to build into something very, very special. It was a dank day. Sometimes I feel recent years, hurling has got too simplistic, whether it's the size of the the boss in the hurl or the slit or whatever, but I feel that the ball is travelling too far. But actually the rain and the slippery conditions made it more difficult for the players. There was ferocious physicality. I thought John Keane and the referee did an excellent job in letting the game flow in that regard. Um, I actually actually think the players respected that. I didn't feel it was a dirty game. And then you have all these moments where it's uh, ebb and flow and you really feel that the waves of the crowd assemble stadium. You're beginning to feel more of an eruption every time there's a point and you're really beginning to feel that this thing is, the electricity is in the air. And it was akin to 2004 Cork and Waterford. And the Tony Kelly, I think it was a lady called Maeve Nidulon on Twitter, put out the video of uh, Tony Kelly. It's had 500,000 views. Like it's a piece of art. It, it should be a painting. An NFT. A, uh, <laughs> yeah an artwork about it because it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a sporting pitch. Now, I was in the gantry on the other side of the uh, the ground and you, you can't see the ball. You're just waiting to see is the umpire going to pull up the flag. But when you see Tony Kelly himself, the moment he hit it, he knew it was right. over. Mm. Like it was, and it's funny, like you see the little stewards, um, you know, applauding and then everybody's getting back into position. It's just the, the way that it just moves so quickly in terms of the players' mindsets to get back into position. And then Limerick, as true champions, win their fourth Munster title in a row by winning an extra time. It was just, it really felt like one of these 1980s, 1990s Munster finals where it did feel like a knockout game. And there was a knockout vibe to it. And whether it deserved a replay, I don't know. But um, that's something that the Munster final hasn't had for a long time. The sideline was sensational. It was the speed that he took it as well. Because you think of, say, a Joe Canning sideline, there was almost a deep breath. Everybody's waiting. Tony Kelly didn't stop. Like It had happened far before. And such a different technique to Joe Canning. A state of flow. And he was just gone. It's, it's like, this is the biggest moment in Clare's season. And it's, I don't even need to think about it. I'm just, I'm just in that zone right now where I can just knock this over. Such a magician. Oh. It's amazing. And um, I, like, I realise that we all want to see Handshake 3, but that can wait till next year. We want to see these again in the Ireland final in Croker. Let's see what, let's see what happens in Croker when it's 80,000. I asked Tommy Walsh after what you think who's going to be in the final. He said Kilkenny and Limerick. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> so, uh, which is funny. Yeah. And high-speed rail, guys. One hour, seven minutes from... Uh, from Thurless into Dublin. Really? Like a pint in my hand at 8.09pm. Wow. In Dublin city centre. Uh, so I don't know if there's... No a stops. Uh, yeah, match, there's, match Express. Yeah, straight in. Straight right. in. Uh, no, but, it, no, but it's, there's an, like every train, most trains I think going to Cork now just stop sometimes at Thurless. And uh, there was a, there's one an hour. So I don't know if there's an economic argument for this high speed rail arc, but... Um, I mean, there is. Certainly with everybody like now not having to live in Dublin anymore and it being too expensive and like it being eight people to a room at the moment in Dublin, wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Like, an hour to Cork in a train, a bullet train to Galway for an hour. John, yeah. did you ever... Uh, was there any stage where you thought Clare were going to win the game? Um, I know you said that, uh, Nathan, off air, but um, I, I did feel like in the last 10 minutes that we were keeping pace, you know? And I felt like we just got maybe a point or two ahead. I thought before the Limerick goal that actually there was a chance if they could... 
there was um, was there a save made? But the, the, like, and this is in the first half. You're like, oh, there's just a gap here. Go on, you need a bigger gap. And then the goal happens. It's like, ah. Well, the goal was sensational. But the Limerick full back line were I thought were amazing. Um, was it uh, Barry Nash and um, Sean Finn and Mike Casey and Declan Hannon had a great game. Seamus Flanagan had a great game. Uh, like I thought, Dave Fitzgerald played really well for Clare. Tony Kelly obviously. Uh, some of the Clare backs, some of these players in Clare, even the goalkeeper played well. Like, and sometimes I wonder as well, you know, it's, it, obviously for safety reasons, you know, they need to have the helmets on. But, you know, I don't know what, can we market these guys a bit better? Yeah, names on the back of jerseys. It's really easy. Squad numbers at the start of the season, 40, 40 members, name on the back of the jersey. You have your number for the whole season and it's like Tony Kelly 11. Kelly. Well, there is that, the, I, I brought it up twice now, um, the photograph of the... Uh, Limerick players with their tops off in the dressing room and they're all properly flexing and it's uh, quite an impressive sight but instantly I'm, I only, only recognise two of these guys yeah and like this is the best team one of the greatest hurling teams we've ever seen yeah so th- th- there's a you're going to recognise them more like with their tops off from the, now it's going to be from the head down <laughs> oh can you just uh, oh you're that guy <laughs> there's, a, there's a missing piece there you're in the uh, eight pack <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I felt like I've never felt like this after a really sporting event where I felt disappointed but proud. Maybe you think Nathan oh, yeah. experienced after Mayo. Um, yeah, yeah. Pushing all the time, favorite. every year. Uh, but yeah, like it probably year. probably going to be Clerical Kenny and probably going to be maybe Galway Limerick or Cork Limerick in the semis. It's going to be interesting. It, uh, whatever whatever way that all pans out now, there's no dud teams left. You would expect everybody to Unless be able Antrim to have a scalp there, Jer. Unless Antrim can. I don't think Antrim are going to have a scalp. That Antrim uh, Kerry game, by the way, was an absolute cracker. Again, the Seagulls echoing around the empty stadium. Not quite as what you would hope for a national final. And I know everybody talks about it's important for Croke Park and everything, but maybe they would have been better served. Maybe those teams in that division should come to a deal and say it's home and away and that's like a big crowd in the Glens of Antrim or a big crowd in Tralee watching the game do you get a big crowd in Tralee maybe you play the game of Fnug I don't know somewhere like was there a warm up game for the was there a game before the Munster Hurling final it was a Camogie game okay Waterford so they had Tipperary. well at least they're doing a bit more of that uh, not a dirty game but did John not think that Peter Duggan got away with things that would have been treated had a Differently, the, du- the Duggans don't do anything Rowe. wrong in life. The Duggans are all good. Hegarty or Aaron Galan, great game, but consistency in refing needed. I thought that um, there was a stamp on the head of Shane O'Donnell at one point. Mm. Definitely looked like it, it, but it wasn't really seen. I think until that night when they slowed it down several times. Oh, did oh, so I didn't see the. I didn't watch the evening program. Uh, did they talk about it then? Yeah, like, I'm really sure if, that if I saw Shane Dowling talking about it. Uh, by that stage, I was doing my Richard Harris impression uh, with the jersey under the jumper. I feel sorry for Gerard Hegarty. He scores one of the great Munster hurling final goals, and because Tony Kelly steps up, it's all anyone's talking about. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It's good, yeah. It was good. Over uh, flicking it over the top. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, this happens in hurling all the time, though, Nathan. You're like, it's, it's ah, every goal Limerick goal score. Every goal Limerick pretty score good, is. Yeah. Well, there was definitely Kyle Hayes got the ball around the half back line. I was like, oh, goal on here, and it was just, just stops like. Four and a half seconds later, they are absolutely. You're saying I'm too easily amazing. impressed with Hurling. Oh, they just you know watch a bit more of it. It happens every week. It's yeah. a, it is sensational. Yeah. But it's context is everything. This is a Munster Hurling final, a crucial moment of the it's game, true. and have it's the true. confidence to pull that off. He was pretty good. He's like uh, you know, so I, and they're all in the running now for Hurler of the Year. Like yeah. there's a possibility Tony Kelly gets it on a losing team if they don't win, but if they win, he's nailed on. Now they need to get to a semi final. Well, that's final, what I'm. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm shooing them into the, the final. It's funny it's uh, a trilogy this year. Uh, in 1994 I was draw, there. extra time what happened in the last one yeah, that's 90- the one you want to win yeah yeah 
94 I was at the Limerick Offaly game and I couldn't believe what, ha- what I saw at the end and you know that had some very painful days Limerick so it's amazing to see a, a county and you could really feel the Limerick fans Limerick, Limerick they just know they're dominant and it's, it's some turnaround in, in the last 10 years to see what's happened there and obviously the investment has been a huge part of that and Lohan like what a like to come through all the shit that Lohan has come through he's like it's like Shawshank you know into the sweet freedom on the other side and he was so close so close but it's not done the season's not done well they did this promotion and I actually entered it win a house in the Hinch where it was a hundred euro a ticket and I think they must have sold maybe over 10,000 tickets so you know that kind of thing helps in terms of fundraising for the they need it yeah and they're, they're, the fact that they're the ones putting it up to Limerick this year they deserve great credit for it so anyway hopefully Davey there's a trilogy the garden the hmm? Shawshank Davy fits the garden the Shawshank <laughs> Uh oh, you're in trouble. Eight fifty-seven this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, last one. Dave Cause says Nathan, think of Soundgarden's album to avoid the cursing. Bad Motorfinger. Bad Motorfinger. Soundgarden's third album released in nineteen ninety-one. I never got past Black Hole Sun. Was that strange video? Wasn't it? Was that before mm. that? Ninety-one. Yeah, it must have been. <laughs> Super unknown was the album for Black Hole Sun. Was it? Um, that meme has been doing the rounds of the, all the albums released within 50 days in 91 uh, never mind Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 Metallica the Black Album and three others all released within 50 days wow. a, a peak moment in, in our lives when uh, you know you were what 15 10 uh, 8.58 this morning here if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you John good stuff thanks very much for that more from John of course on Saturday afternoons on Off the Ball on News Talk and of course on the Breakfast Show on News Talk too now uh, time for us to turn our attention to rugby Alan Quinlan is uh, with us Alan good morning to you morning lads how are you let's start with Munster it feels like a long time ago now because the weekend was so long and so packed with uh, top quality sports but Ulster are really good and so we should start there really except that it's the end of the Van Graan era and we'll get to talk about Ulster again so on balance the Van Graan era was chronically disappointing is that fair? Yeah I think so I think that's uh, that's the reality um, particularly when you you finish um, the way they finished in the last couple of weeks I think um, I've said this for a long time nobody there's no expectation that they they should have won trophies this year but I think um there's been few highlights. Um, maybe the Wasps game, the Scarlets game pre-Christmas, um, Exeter, Toulouse, the win in Ulster. Sporadic um, highs. Uh, but, you know, in fairness, they started the season pretty well. They won their first four league games. And I think um, the first kind of signs that this team could struggle were was probably at home to Connacht, Um Back in October, I think. Then they went to Ospreys the week after and lost their first league game away to the Ospreys. Um, at the time, I just thought it was significant game they should have won. And, you know, you'll always look back in the league season and if you lose a couple of games that you should have won and they can be crucial. And it ended up being crucial for them to be away in the quarter final to Ulster. Um, they had the opportunity to have a home quarter final, home semi final, and really maybe challenge and get into the, get into the final, which just didn't happen. Uh, obviously, didn't happen. But I think you know if they went on and lost the final uh, to Leinster, put up a good fight. Well, then you'd be saying, yeah, decent season, few kind of ups and downs along the way, but 
there's a bit of progress and that's all the Munster fans wanted was progress I think and um, the last couple of weeks have just taken their toll I think the, the Toulouse game um, maybe it was a false dawn it was an incredible effort um, by the players that day um, but look reality we can you've got to obviously the head coach has got to take take it on the chin um, he's managing the structure and the plan week on week uh, but the players have let themselves down the last few weeks as well. The crazy thing is that Johan van Graan would still be there for another season if he hadn't taken the money and ran off the bat. That, that, like, yeah, that, but, that, yeah. Is that a big concern for the the culture and the way Munster's been run that actually nobody within Munster seemed to have an issue with Johan van Graan's reign? That they were happy to keep him on? I think um, Nathan... And a lot of people mentioned this pre, just like around in December when Johan announced he was going and Stephen Larkham that it could be a problem and it has been a problem. I think the players have switched off. Um, there's something not right within the, the camp. Um, the standards obviously have dropped in the last few weeks and you know, people within the organisation, the last thing I want to do is be drawing a load of heat on me again, kind of talking about the structure and the Deep, deep down the the, uh, the the organization as a whole, but obviously in 2016, I, I that's there's some things frustrated me, and um, I wasn't very popular for saying it, probably within within that group at the time. But um, I just wanted Monster to do well and do better, and it's like any business. If you're not if you're not performing, you've got to peel back a few layers and see. Where can you improve? I know there's a desire in there in, within the group, in the organisation, and behind the coaches and all that stuff to get better. Um, but it has to be reviewed again and looked at, and uh, you know, see where they improve. Essentially, well, it's not that, like that's they, six years ago. Yeah, it's not like they proved you wrong, ago. is it? It's not, and I was probably the, the villain at the time. Um, and you know, I wasn't. Uh, I was just out of frustration and. You know, I think they made strides under Rassi Erasmus. Um, he be- made the team very resilient, strong, very hard to beat. Um, they lost the URC final, lost the semi-final to a very good Saracens side. Probably one of the, the best Saracens teams. One of the best teams that have won a European trophy. So there was real optimism that they could build on that stuff. And um, Johan took over then. And <clears throat> of course, there's some highs over the years, but I think the frustrating part was, um, you know, probably lack of consistency and um, the powers that be, Ned, and going back to your question, well, we can, we could have been all fooled into thinking that, yeah, this is the right thing to do. A fool is the wrong word. I don't want to be disrespectful because Johan is a very nice man, but I think, you know, they've got it wrong. Um, and the decision makers in Munster probably, um, I think at the time felt that, um, he was uh, the man to take him forward and I didn't have a major problem with it at the time so in hindsight we can all say oh that was a terrible decision I think the players and the decision to announce it, him leaving and all that has had a ripple effect that any sort of improvements there it affected it and we've seen that in lots of other sport when, when managers announce they're leaving I know myself, I was a player in there. You know, you obviously try and still turn up and be very professional, but there's a little bit of edge gone. There's a little bit of uh, maybe respect gone. Um, and 
that's why I say the players have to take responsibility. Stephen Larkham um, has to take responsibility around the attack. Um, the mixed messaging that comes out from him on a regular basis, um, contradicting people when we see stuff straight in front of our eyes around the attack, trying to you know say that we played well and we were we did a lot of good things in the match. Um, one thing you you can be rest assured of: the Munster fans are no fools. Um, so many of the Munster fans that go to Thomond Park or go to all these games are involved in rugby clubs. They've been steeped in rugby all their lives. They're, they're coaches themselves. They're, uh, they play the game. And um, I think it's it's been frustrating. So, obviously, if you, uh, if you look back in, at the rain in the last couple of years, um, where, where are we going? But I will say it's not all the... Co- I think the, the current group of players should be playing better and the skill set should be better. The attack should be better, um, but ultimately, the players required to win URCs and win U- European Cups are not there. That that is a fact, and that is a reality. Um, dare I say, go back to when we won two European Cups? The strength and depth and quality and characters and presence we had of guys who weren't even starting. You know, I remember the internationals all being away. There was seven of them monster pack at the time up with Ireland. I was the odd one out um, playing on Friday nights in Edinburgh, playing on Sundays in, in Dragons. Like the teams we had were, you know, the depth that was there. So look, there's no quick fix solution. I think it needs to be looked at again. Obviously, the structures, the school system, the club system, the type of coaching they're getting right right down to grassroots level. I agree with all that, and Alan. One thing, though, I would say is that it looked like the skills, the, the, the basic skills, the handling skills at the weekend. And that's that. Like so, that's not the structural issue that we're talking about. Sure, yeah. better players need to come through the youth system and they need better investment in signings and those signings need to work, right? But like the constant knock-ons when players weren't under pressure, that's on the players. Like that, that absolutely. is absolutely, on the players. And, it, absolutely and it's on the current on the coaching ticket. And it's on the attitude of the players, um, how, how they're presenting themselves and what's going through their heads. Everybody can make a mistake here and there, but it's kind of like a poison, Jared. That's, I think, the, I don't know what happened to players in the last few weeks, but they whether it was the Toulouse physicality, the psychological effect, or did they believe that, you know, they were they, they were after stepping up a level here and it was just going to happen. Um, there was very little leadership in the last couple of weeks against Leinster and Ulster. Really big concern as well. Because as I said, you know, I've had this chat, I don't want to keep harping on because... I'll, I'll attract attention from, from the current group maybe and I don't want to do that I, I like a lot of these players I think a lot of these play, these players have turned up and they've tried their best but they there has to be some form of looking at the leadership the decision making the body language um, and it hasn't been good enough in the last two weeks and, and at times during the season and I think the frustrating part and when they look back and analyse their season they'll see some of the things they did, the highlights, the way they, you know, they attacked at times in some of those games. Go back to Claremont last year, you know, the fall stones, the win over in Claremont last year, incredible. The way they came back, the type of rugby they played, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, I could go back season by season and 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 go through those games. Um, you know, they lost that final last year to Leinster, sixteen six in the RDS at the end of March. A lot of COVID disruptions, but again, a final, not a shot fired. Um, yeah, very against a very good side. So there's been too many of those. So it's it's um, the players have to take responsibility here and you know, there has to be some sort of change. Like, if you're going to lose, I'm going to lose like this at the end of each season, well, you'd be better off playing seven or eight young fellas and seeing how they go because... Well, should Graham Roundtree do that? So I know uh, Fekato and Frisch are coming in, maybe they unlock something in the back line for next season. But if you're saying they're, you know, they're a long way off winning a URC or a Champions Cup, like when Graham Roundtree sits down over the next month or so and presents himself as the head coach... Should he be saying, you know, this is a three-year project. We've got to get back to basics. We're going to be blooding a lot of young players over the next 18 months with the aim of, in three years' time, being competitive in semi-finals and finals again. Like, is that, is, is that something Munster supporters would accept? It's a very good observation. I think maybe now they probably would. Um, I think the problem, um, Nathan, and it's a really good question, is that um, year after year, there's pressure on Munster because there's an expectation of who they are and, um, the brand and all that kind of stuff which some people outside of Munster will say well that's only a load of rubbish it doesn't matter Munster haven't won a trophy in 10 years but look Munster is still a very very big brand we saw what happened in Aviva a few weeks ago the the, the crowd the singing the, the energy that they brought to that that Toulouse game and, and the kind of joy and it brought me back to the great days that we've seen so over the years with the connection with Europe but um, I think like each year there's a pressure on a coach to try and win. And I think Johan at times has probably tried to pick more experienced players over younger players at times. Now he has brought through a lot of young players, so um, that, that that has happened, but we probably haven't seen it consistently enough. And maybe it's a case of um, start again, rip it up for Graham Rountree and everybody's got to prove themselves again, no matter what what number of caps you have for Ireland or yeah. whatever and uh, well, we start playing younger players and and and, and go down that road because look it'll be interesting it probably is does. a two or three year plan now it probably is a two or three year plan unfortunately whereas this and that's the end of Peter Manny's career day, though you know like uh, and Conor Murray it's like sad and it's, it's greatest ever players and they win nothing for 10 for years yeah yeah I don't, we, yeah. we should we, sorry obviously and you get more of the the monster conversation on the Red 78 podcast but we should have a word for Ulster for whom this yeah, was a signature they were, win they were brilliant yeah they were brilliant um, and do you know what the funny thing is Jerry, and I mean this respectfully to Ulster they at times they didn't they didn't have to do anything extraordinary I like they didn't have to they didn't have to work incredibly hard to get their tries to change the the, the kind of picture of the game uh, Munster had moments in that first 20, 30 minutes when they were in Ulster's 22 and they looked like they were overpowering them. They were going to score tries. They were going to uh, control the tempo of the game. But too often, again, as we spoke about, the turnovers happened. But Ulster kind of changed switch. Uh, they had a few early mistakes themselves and then they become really accurate. Um, score two tries at first phase at that level is, would be incredibly pleasing for Ulster incredibly disappointing for Munster James Hume was brilliant uh, I think he's straight in the Ireland team uh, for the first test if, if you're picking the first test this weekend is James Hume starting well the pro- no the problem James Hume has is Robbie Henshaw 
Gary Ringer. I think I don't know. I don't know. I but, think James Hume. You got to put. You got to put him in the team. Otherwise, there's, there's. Otherwise, you're just picking on. I. We always pick this, which is what Munster do. But Ireland, surely, James Hume's performance in that game is the best performance from a 13 in a high level match that we've seen this year. Right? He was superb. Yeah, absolutely superb. Um, he's strong. He's developed his strengths more. He's really physical. Um, lovely stepper as well and he's he's been really really consistent all year for Ulster so yeah there is an argument that he should go straight in there and um, it's very hard Gary Ringos wouldn't be too happy or, or Henshaw or, or Bundyaki but you keep yeah, them all honest maybe you just, maybe, yeah maybe you just roll the dice with him World Cup next year and see if he can throw him in here to deep end and uh, say go and play and uh, show us some more of that um, a different level different step up um, maybe you wait till the second test and see how it, how it pans out. Um, I don't know, but look, he's he was superb the other night. Uh, Timoney was brilliant as well. Um, I was disappointed for Alex Kendellan because I think, um, you know, he's obviously been an academy player this year. To step up the way he's done um, has been brilliant. But Nick Timoney kind of changed gears the other night and was superb. So he's kind of... Put, put himself back in the pit. I, and I said this before the game, you know, a couple of battles on there for yeah. maybe places on the plate to New Zealand. Timoney, outstanding. Uh, John Cooney was brilliant as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, their accuracy, Balakum, you know, what a player um, coming on a pace to try saving tackle on, on Joey Carberry. So, um, without overextending themselves, they just struck at different moments and um, okay. didn't have to batter away at that Munster line and were brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to preview the, the um, semi-finals. We'll talk about Leinster and, and what their win means for their relative strength or otherwise of the league because it was a bit of a humiliation for the league, I felt like, when one of your quarterfinals ends up in that score. But we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. We got a little bit sidetracked, obviously, by the, the end of the Van Graan era. Alan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks, Ed. Cheers, buddy. You'll hear more of that on the Red 78 podcast this week with Alan and Neve Briggs it's a quarter past nine this Tuesday morning here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today OTB Gold at one o'clock is James McLean in studio speaking with Nathan Splunk at three uh, career retrospective Darren O'Dea at four OTB Gold is Barry Ryan's The Ascent and the show is live tonight with Willa Callahan presenting from seven a reminder the beeps on for that James McLean interview lunchtime oh yeah OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day you could do the live beeps in the same way that you failed to do the live beeps earlier on it was one of those moments that uh, listen his, his answer was uh, magnificent when I said and what do the opposition supporters say to you when they're abusing you <laughs> he, just, he told you the truth oh, he, he, he told the full truth well, that's good So he, he, I mean I think that like we shouldn't shy away from understanding yeah, what so people are actually going through why am I getting sick for uh, you know just uh, repeating because well, you, you, you dropped an F-bomb at like 7.45 this morning <laughs> Where you're kind of halfway halfway through dropping the F bomb, you're like, oh, I've actually said this word now, haven't I? I may as well. Hung for sheep as a lamb. Anthony Moyes is with us. Anthony, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How are we doing? Very good. What's going on? Ah, not a lot. Not a lot. Very little, as a matter of fact. You know, just another week in paradise. And uh, well, congratulations, Cher, on uh, winning your. Uh, I hope you're coveted medal there. I hope you wear it around the office all week. Oh, uh, oh he will. You know, it's something to behold. And uh, fair play to you. Just a lot of Nathan's in the studio so I can rub it in, you know? Yeah, well, listen, it's all about taking part, really. King we, can all find we can all find excuses when we want to, you know? It's, 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 it's making an excuse 
not to be there. That's it. You know, that's it. That's what you have to be. So listen, uh, anyway, congrats. Thanks very much. Well Thanks very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Tyrone were a rabble in the end. Yeah, they're a rabble. All right. Um, well, we've, you know, we've been kind of looking at it all year. Um, obviously some distress in the camp, something going on, numerous players leaving, you know, we touched on it earlier on in the year. Why would you leave if you were in a panel that potentially could go and win a second All-Ireland? Um, you know, one or two guys might have personal reasons or different things that's going on, but the, but, but the, the amount and the, the, just the sheer number of fellas leaving kind of gave you an inkling that all wasn't well. Um, they were different, to be fair to them. I think they were a lot better than they were against Derry. Um, and when I say a lot better, I mean they tried. Um, I watched numerous, number, numerous occasions where they were chasing back and that energy and that kind of enthusiasm and that desire to get back and, uh, you know, stop an attack or whatever it was, which wasn't there against Derry, was there. So to be fair, I don't think they, they, they went out you know, on their shields, um, they didn't just go out with a whimper. But it just wasn't happening for them, Jerry. Uh, uh, just it just wasn't happening for them. The, the defense has been leaky. They have been devoid of any kind of real idea of where who who their six is. They've been chopping and changing the team. Some of the changes that they made in the defense, uh, you know, just didn't work um, at the weekend. And you know, Armagh really probably could have bet them by ten or eleven points. And when you look at it, a lot of teams. You know, it's funny. You might have said before the draw, geez, I'd like to avoid Tyrone, but actually Tyrone were the team nearly to get because, um, you know, once you got on top of them, I think the the, the, the failings that they've had and the, the lack of energy and just the, the fact that so many players are off form just came back to haunt them. Armagh's reward is a game against only goal. It's like, oh, great. Haven't seen you in a while. Oh, wait, hang on a second. We know each other all too well. Um, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like sneakily they've they've kind of done this Talton Cup North and South divide. Yeah. They've kind of managed to do it in the old hot balls, cold balls syndrome, and in, in, in the thing because I'm amazed, you know. <laughs> like you look at the other side, Cork. No disrespect, but they get loud and Limerick, and Armagh get their own Donegal. So yeah, man, yeah. That's that's going to be that's going to be a cracker. Tony Gall, it's all. I think it's all a mental challenge now. Uh, you know that kind of first round of the qualifier when you get beaten and you have to go in, whether it's after a provincial loss or whatever it is. That's the the, the, the mental side of it is, is is the big thing. It's how the management team and the players pull things together post the loss, which 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 you know is 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 is, is, a, is a sickening blow really to you. Um, and it's 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 like a wake. It's like a death in the family. It takes you about five or six days to kind of get through it. Then it takes another three or four days, depending on rows in the camp and people pointing fingers and everything else. So it's you know you generally do need a minimum of two weeks to get over it. Um, but Armagh would be licking their lips because you know they would feel that they owe this game and that they they, they you know that they're battle hardened now and they go in with a lot of confidence. Whereas Donegal won't. Um. What about the Mayo performance against Monaghan? At one stage, the shot efficiency was dropping to like catastrophic levels, and yet still they managed to win the game, which maybe is all that needs to happen. Kind of a good team, Jer. Until they get to Croke Park, and lo and behold, <laughs> they're in Croke Park. I know nobody seems happy about it. I'd say James Horn is absolutely delighted the game is in Croke Park. 
I love the fact that with in, in Owen's absence, uh, Ethan is just going for the complete opposite of the era. He's just he's just bigging them up like just no, can't no, help no, ourselves. No, unashamedly so, which just is can't which help is, ourselves. Which is the Mayo way. Which is the Mayo way. Um, you know what? I, I agree with him. I think they they got the job done. They racked up a decent score. Um, I thought Monaghan were a little bit abject. I thought the game was 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 very cat and mouse until the until the black card. Um, you know, Mayo made hay. Then I think they could have won by more, but but at the same time they could have absolutely blown it with the last guy kind of five or six crazy minutes. Um, Mayo will always come out looking confident. You know, they'll always have the chest out. They look well. They'll they'll flash a couple of scores. But there's always that inkling, especially when they're going through the back door, that 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 it's 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 a it's a you know it's a kind of a, a veneer. It's just there on the surface, and that if you crack it, that you might get in underneath it, and that you might expose them. And to be fair, I think if that Monaghan game had gone on an extra few minutes, I think Monaghan could have caught them because they were they were they were they were really teetering. You know, they were like I mean the Mache, the aid no Shea hand pass. Which should have been a penalty. Oh, it's like the um, Dubs last year when they're passing back at their own goal line. It's like what? What the hell? Yeah, and it's a, it, and it's a real lack of. Um, sorry, it's not a lack. It's not a lack of ambition. I think. I think what it is is it's a fear, uh, and it's a fear of going on and pushing up and actually saying, you know what, we can go on and kick on in this game, and it's the kind of what we have, we hold, and of course, what ends up happening is you fall back within yourself, players come back, and you, you, you pull teams onto yourself. So the pressure actually builds because you're, you know, you're trying to get out of your defence, you're seeing Monaghan fellas all over you, you're making decisions that you probably wouldn't make. The referee is probably giving the opposition team a bit of an opportunity, so he's not really giving you easy freeze to get out of the defence or whatever it is, and, and it just heaps more and more pressure. They'll get a lot of confidence from that win. Um, Are they trying although- to prove something in those last few minutes? Like, they're trying to prove something around game management because it doesn't feel like game management sits well with this Mayo group over the last, like it's it's 100 miles an hour it's keep kicking on in the last 10 minutes we're actually trying to sit back and play that you know dub style possession football keep it in our own half 100 hand passes like that doesn't seem to fit with the skill set of this Mayo group you could be right, Nathan. And I think, like, I mean, often what, what, what if you watch Dublin or, or, or any other team when they're doing it quite well is they will do it for a period of time, but then they launch like a long kick out to a kind of an outrider, a person who's just gone up the pitch in over in behind the defence or, or, or the opposition offence and tried to get in behind and tried to get a score down the far end or even get a free. So, in other words, someone like a Maddie Ruan just takes off, you give him the ball and off he goes. I think that idea of game managing in your own half or even in your own from your own 30 yard line back is dangerous stuff um, and especially when teams are, are, are pressing so much and looking to turn the ball over and are so adept at doing that so yeah is it a thing I don't know I think I think the point that you make on the mean 100 mile an hour that's the way they have to play um, and that's the way when they when they tore Tyrone open, which they did, they could have had another one or two goals themselves. McLaughlin had had, had an opportunity, which really he should have stuck away, set up brilliantly by Killian O'Connor. Um, but I was a bit more impressed with their balance in the in the forward line. O'Connor's obviously getting back. He's got a number, a few number of weeks under his belt with regard to training. He looked a bit sharper. Um, and I, I talked some of the, some of the positional changes in the forward line were interesting. Um, they still didn't set the world alight. Um, and I think, you know, but again, they're coming into a situation now, again, against a team just like Ala Donegal that 
have the physical scar or the mental scar and the physical scar of the dubs absolutely trouncing them. So it's all, again, how does Glenn Ryan and the boys, how do they treat the video sessions and the recovery post that Dublin game? Do they look at that first 20 minutes, which we touched on, where there was unbelievable defensive errors? Hopefully. Which allowed Dublin have the, the hopefully, hopefully they do look at it a bit and go, yeah. OK, let's not do this again. Let's do something yeah, slightly let, different, let, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 football one oh one. Here here's the first lesson and the last lesson of tonight. Let's not do this. Let's not have this object defending it. Well, you know, I, I think they'll have to do they'll have to have like those Kildare players will be will be feeling absolutely desperate after that game. Um, they have to give them the confidence about the second half and about how well they attacked and how well they transitioned and some of the scores they got because there's no doubt about that. The forward line in Kildare is is is, is well able. Um, but those defensive errors, that'll be crucified against, against Mayo too because Mayo have those strong runners coming from deep. And if you watch most of the goals that happened against Dublin was fellas switching off, switching off to runners, not knowing who they were going with, not communicating correctly. Um, and if you do that against Mayo, you're going to get absolutely opened up so okay. you have to go wherever that runner goes to whether it's Lee Keegan or you know it's whoever it is you have to go with them and look Mayo beat them fairly handy in the league um, in the end it was 8 points but kind of I don't think it was um, as much of a competition as some of the other games that Kildare played in Division 1 so Mayo strong favourites for that back in Croker and probably one of those teams that none of the provincial champions actually want in an All-Ireland quarter-final but uh, we'll wait and see Fanti was having a right home moan after the game, wasn't he, about that penalty? Like, in terms of teams being screwed over and a McEnany being involved, I think, Anthony, we can all agree it wasn't in the top. The top. The top. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's three or four. <laughs> I mean, certainly, uh, the All-Ireland, uh, you don't even remember this, but the, there was a square ball that wasn't in the uh, down Kildare match in 2010. We would have got to an All-Ireland final. <sighs> against, right. against Cork. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, it, it does seem as if sympathy was in short supply for Monaghan uh, at the weekend. Anyway, to move swiftly on, uh, how is your candidacy for the Mead gig coming along, Anthony? Do you want to announce it right now, live on the air? I think I'll, I think I'll hold it. I think I'll hold that in my pocket here, if that's okay. <laughs> I haven't checked the terms and the conditions. The small print would be vital, I think, in, in, in that particular role. No, it's, um, uh, yeah. It's a sad state of affairs. Um, you know, I think, first of all, on the game itself, I think people who were going in thinking that Mead were going to win this well or any, in, in any other way was were, were, were completely, those those thoughts were completely unfounded because I think Clare and Mead are pretty much close. And the last number of years, the battles that they've had, it's been a point or two either way. You know, so uh, Clare fully deserved the win. I think Mead were like... Um, I just looked at the highlights. I wasn't at the game, so I can't really comment. But looking at the highlights, the one thing that jumped out for me from the TV was a lack of energy, a lack of enthusiasm, um, a lack of intensity. Um, and the me guys just looked like, you know, they were just waiting to be, you know, basically put to the sword. Um, bar a couple of great saves by Harry Hogan, it could have been a lot worse. And fair play to Claire, they kick on and on they go. So, you know, Andy obviously announced uh, his his resignation last night. That's six years. And, you know, I know Andy well. Um, I would consider Andy a friend of mine. And, you know, Andy has put massive amount of work in. He came with a great CV, as you guys know, like with Bally Bowden and different things he didn't meet. Um, he was probably one of the 
I suppose the 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 the, the guy in, in in Mead at that time who had won the most uh, at club level and had shown that he had the capabilities to do it. I think he tried well over. Oh, I think I saw someone putting up a tweet yesterday with the amount of players that he's tried and from the amount of clubs. It's over thirty odd clubs have been used and well over a hundred odd players. Um, so it's not like he didn't go scouring the county to try to get talent. Um, now, some might say, did he chop and change too much? I don't know. Like, I mean, if the players are there and they're putting their hand up and they're consistent, well, then they stay in the team as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Um, and, and if they're not there, well, then you have to go find others. It's, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's like, lads, honestly, inter-county management is not for the faint-hearted. It is an unbelievable task it's a it's a it's a seven day 24 7 job you know that that is what it is nowadays between the the organizing of the sessions the video sessions the analysis being there you know and what it, it, you know whether you have a big backroom team or not if the main man isn't there the players will look or people will understand and say you know well why isn't he here and all it takes is one to kind of say that an ox thing it just starts to spread um, so you need to be there. You need to be present continuously. And, you know, I know Andy has put an enormous amount of work and an enormous amount of commitment into that team, both on the field and off the field. He's very, very good to fellas off the pitches, helping them out with work and different things and introducing them to people and getting things sorted for them. And that's what it is. It's an all... Uh, encompassing role you know it's not just you go out there and you train for an hour and a half or two hours in the pitch and away with you it is it is an unbelievable role and it puts your life on hold so you know to say you know me have a me have a, 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 a body of work to do to get the next person in because it's going to be a very very important appointment um, and I think I'm going to put their hand up and goes oh I can solve this I think they're talking absolute BS to be honest with you because I think there's multiple layers that have to be solved and it goes from the top all the way down to that person and further down. So it's not just a thing of, oh, let's get a big name in here and we'll, you know, just throw a number of people around him and actually we have loads of talent. The talent was there. The talent was there with Andy. Um, but was the character there um, and was the, you know, the kind of, I suppose, the the real desire to to push on and to win and to to, to do all the different things that need to be done I'm not so sure. Um, and and the first thing that has to happen is those players who, who have been left behind, who are now waiting for a new manager, a lot of them will have to have a good, long, hard look at themselves. Um, and, you know, Andy has fallen on his sword, as, as has his management team. But, you know, in both the Dublin game and, and the Clare game, you know, a number of those players will have to take, as I say, a good, long, hard look at themselves and wonder, you know, do they have what's needed to go on? Um, and I'm not just saying play for me or play for another. It's, it, I, you know, a lot of people can play for an inter-county team. It's to win. It's what you can do to lead that yeah. and, and, and to really push it on and make the difference. All right. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'll come back to all that a little bit later on in the summer as well. Anthony, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. No bother, lads. Talk to you soon. Anthony Cheers. Mullins giving us a thoughts there. So give me your prediction for the score. Mayo going to whoop Kildare or it'll oh, be a no, close no, game? No, no, no. As uh, Anthony pointed out, I, it, it's a bit of yerrism needs to take place, I think. Uh, too, late, you know, too late, you're too late. You've already, from, uh, you've already booked in there, surely. You're booking the uh, hotels for the All-Ireland final, you were saying. Can't even get the hotels. Uh, my main takeaway from the weekend is, do I need to revise where last year's All-Ireland final is in Mayo's list of what might have been, considering... How this, bad Toronto were this thing? What do you like? The handy All-Ireland you coughed up. Again, story of your lives. 9.32 this morning, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, next up, Vinnie Perth's reaction alongside Nathan to Ireland's performance and result against Armenia at the weekend. We will see you tomorrow. Best of luck. OTBAM with Gillette. 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 